Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 193, Santos versus Walker, also known as UFC Vegas 38. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network and the creator of several shows for that network, including, of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show, which brings you the recaps after these events. Keith, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing good, man. It's it's always tough to follow up a pay-per-view because I mean we break down every single card. We watch film on pretty much every fight. Not not every week, I'll admit. Not every week do I get to watch film on every single fight. But for the most part, you and I both do. But there's still something special about a, a UFC pay-per-view that goes to it on that level. And mm-hmm. then the follow-up always seems a little disappointing. It's it's like it's like you had sex with a girl, but you don't want to cuddle with her afterwards. <laughs> like that's like what this is. So so this is the I I really got to get to work tomorrow. Of yeah. Like UFC cards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm with you, and it's especially that way in this case because last week UFC 266, you and I on the recap both agreed that it's an a, it was an A plus card, Absolutely. possibly card of the year, and this one I mean Which adds to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is like the super hangover, uh, card and. 13 fights there's some good stuff on there there's some stuff that uh, you know i'm we'll dig into it fight by fight and talk about it but you're right there's absolutely a bit of a hangover feeling about this card yeah i'm looking at the main card right now there's not a single fight that i'm not interested in and but what i'll say about this when we do our recap show which make sure if you guys check it out right after every ufc live on youtube when when we look at the you know, at the recap show, we kind of have a storyline to go down. No matter, like, the main event of a fight night, we kind of have an angle we want to talk about. This one's going to be tough because the main event really doesn't ha- hold too much weight in the rankings. You know, we always talk about title shot, who gets the first phone call. That guy can't take the call. For example, perfect example is Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling just dropped out. Who was the next guy to get the phone call? It probably was going to be TJ Dillashaw. Dillashaw had a big surgery. Well, let's go with the guy that he just won a controversial win over, you know, and then it was, it was Sanhagen. If somehow Sanhagen couldn't, like, but the whole point of what I'm saying is at 205, these guys are way down the list. Like, chances are somebody else is answering the call before they do. So that's what I'm saying. Like, there's not much storyline, but that said, like, the storyline is just going to be bonkers. Like, this fight's, the main event's going to be absolutely bonkers. Like, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be fireworks. The, it's going to be crazy. The main event's going to be bonkers. There's another fight on the main card that seems to have been thrown together just so we see something crazy happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm assuming that one is Nico Price versus Alex Oliveira. I'm gonna say that that fight ends in something that we've never seen before. I don't, I'm not saying who I think is gonna win or specifically how, but it'll be something we've never seen before. Sure, <laughs> you know, like that's just, uh, yeah, I mean. The, the main card fights all have individual storylines that are kind of interesting. I mean, we got Misha Serkinov dropping to 185 for the first time. Will he make it? How's he going to look? Uh, yeah, I mean, th- there's good stuff up there. The the prelim card is definitely a mixed bag. Well, it's a sad bag because, according to MMA Fighting, this is going to be Betch Cahaya's last fight. Get that girl on the main card for that reason alone. Get her on, get her on the main card, and get her an easier fight. Well, we'll, we'll get to that one when we get to that one. You got anything else you want to say about this one before we dive into these prelims? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. 
the UFC Vegas 38 prelim card kicks off with a bantamweight contest between Alejandro Perez and Johnny Eduardo. Perez, the 32-year-old Mexican uh, fighting out of American Kickboxing Academy, is 21-8-1 overall. He's 7-3-1 in the UFC. Uh, he's currently on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, those two coming against good fighters, though, in Cody Stamen and Yadong Song. Uh, the Song fight was over two years ago, so uh, July 2019. So it'll be a two-year layoff for him. And... He's actually the busier fighter of the two because for Eduardo, it's been over three years since we've seen him. Uh, Johnny Eduardo, the 41-year-old Brazilian, and we'll come back to that in a moment, uh, is 28-12 and 12 overall. He is 3-4 and four in the UFC, uh, having joined as a standout from Shudo Brazil, Jungle Fight, uh, you know, a lot of the better Brazilian promotions of the day. He is also on a two-fight losing streak. Those two coming against uh, Matthew Lopez and most recently Nathaniel Wood, uh, who choked him out in June of 2018 at UFC Fight Night, Rivera versus Moraes. Odds on this one, I don't, I don't envy the odds makers who are trying to handicap this thing, uh, but uh, Perez is a comfortable favorite as of right now. He's around minus 225, Eduardo plus 185 or plus 190 as the, uh, as the underdog. I'm going to throw this to you first, Keith, but let me say something about this. Johnny Eduardo is almost certainly going to go down in history as the last fighter to fight in the UFC who was active in the 1990s. And he just <laughs> wasn't just active, like sneaking in right under the like right under the tape. He fought Takanori Gomi at Vale Tudo Japan in 1999, and that was his 15th fight. This guy debuted in like 1996. The uh, <laughs> Sherdog Fight Finder and Tapology as well have him at age 41, but either he debuted as a pro at age 15, or he's older than that. Now yeah. I'm not saying I'm not yeah. saying it's impossible because back in the 90s, and I'm not even talking about like in the wilds of Brazil. Like <laughs> Joe Stevenson was fighting grown men at age 16 in Southern California. It, it happened in the 90s. Yeah, but. I, I wanted to find some old tape and see what they said his age was in like 1999, but uh, I, I couldn't get to it today. So I'm going to do a little detective work because this guy might be from that, you know, Tim Sylvia school of cutting age, you know, yeah. just by a year or two. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, but so I think the UFC website has him at like 43 or 44. So they have him a little bit older than we have him. That but, seems more reasonable. But either way. Fighting in 1996, like I'm looking at the date of his debut, November of 1996. If if my mind is correct, I believe I was in ninth grade. I'm almost I turned 40 in January. Like <laughs> I was in ninth grade. Yeah. Uh, uh, think about it for a second. We are now onto President Joe Biden. Yep. Before that, we had Donald Trump for four years. Before yep. that, we had Obama for eight years. Before that, we had George Bush for eight years. And then before that, we had uh, Bill Clinton for yep. eight years. If I think I'm correct, but I might be off by a year or so. I'm pretty sure this is right when Bill Clinton was running against Bob Dole. I think you're right. I think this like, is like how second How crazy is that? <laughs> I mean... He's been fighting for almost... He's been fighting for basically 25 years next month. 
like nobody if anybody who's fighting when Bill Clinton was the president of the United States should not be should not be fighting. But certainly not in the UFC. No, no, not in the UFC. <laughs> yeah. And you know the crazy thing is? He's not a heavyweight. Nope. <laughs> that's I think that's the craziest thing of all this. He's a lighter weight class guy. He's in pretty much the most unforgiving division I can think of to old fighters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is this is this is crazy. And I mean, he, he did used to fight at heavier weights just because there in 1998, there wasn't a Bantamweight division to no. speak of. I mean, the guy fought Takanori Gomi. It wasn't was a, a big lightweight, lightweight division. Yeah. It wasn't a lightweight yeah. division at that time. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, dude, so that's that's crazy. I he's, mean. He's anywhere between 41 and 45 years old, give yep. or take. Uh, so it's tough because we haven't seen him fight in, three, what, four years? Three years, sorry. Three years for him, two for Perez. Okay, so he hasn't fought in three years. I got to judge strictly off what I've last seen. And even knowing that, knowing that he could be, and not only could be, but should be, probably expect it would be a lot more diminished than what I last saw. But based on what I last saw of this guy, he's an athletic dude. He's he's a long guy. He throws on the feet. Tight hooks. He's got decent power. He does tend to telegraph his shots, though, as he kind of throws a lot of looping shots. But I like that he goes to the body. Good kicks. We'll look for a takedown, but I wouldn't categorize him as a wrestler because he tends to shoot from far too too far away. Uh, not sure how I feel about his grappling. He he has 11 career subs, but he's also been submitted nine times, and that includes easily by Nathaniel Wood in his last fight. That. That loss has aged well, as I think we've all shown that Nathaniel was one of the best guys in the division. Now, Perez fought two years ago, as you said. Mm-hmm. I was watching tape study, and I was watching his last fight, which obviously didn't last long. But the thing that surprised me even more than getting knocked out absolutely cold by Song Yadong was that Perez was ranked 13th in UFC rankings at that time. And I've, like, completely – it's only been two years, and I, like, completely forgot about this guy. And two years ago, he was ranked. Uh, so – what, what I get from this guy, he's a boxer, very bob and weave. You see him, he's constantly bouncing his head off the center line, throws a lot of combination, throws a lot of power shots. He also likes to load up on his shots. I hate that he throws a lead up. Cat. I mean, if you, I'm a broken record with that. But I like that he digs the body. Great, great calf kicks. We'll sneak, we'll sneak in a takedown. Uh, underrated grappler. I mean, he took down Cody Stamen in their fight. I mean, Cody Stamen is a, one a very good wrestler, uh, one very good fighter, two a very good wrestler. Uh, and he stuffed a lot of takedown attempts in the in the Cody uh, Stamen fight. Though the last thing I saw of him really worries me is he was knocked out. Not just knocked out, not TKO, like out, cold, good night. He's waking up, and he didn't know where he is. So as far as the prediction goes, I'm going to go with a younger fighter, a more active fighter. So give me Perez. I think he's probably the better striker at this point in career. I expect the diminish on Eduardo to be worse than on Perez. He d- I definitely think he's the better ground fighter, if though I don't think this is going to we'll see a lot of ground. But that said, like Perez is a huge, huge favorite, and I don't think he should be. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, he should. Hold on, let me let me rephrase that. He should be based on Eduardo's who knows what age he is, but actual skill set that we've last seen again. Mind you, we were doing this a week ago with with Nick Diaz, so I kind of feel the same way about this fight to a lesser scale. 
give me Perez, but not nearly as confident as the line is out there. I'm totally with you on this. If this fight took place back in 2019, like say a couple months after the the song fight, I'd I'd feel pretty comfortable picking Eduardo just because as you point out, it's not likely to go to the ground. And that's where Eduardo's problems have been, uh, at least at the UFC level. Like he has a ton of submission wins on his record, but a lot of those are early in his career over. I I mean, let's just say it like Brazilian scrubs, you know, in like the nineties and early two thousands, like, uh, at the at the UFC level, like once he's facing world class competition, you know, uh, his grappling has been a bit of a liability. But if it turned into a straight kickboxing match in 2019, I wouldn't have I, I wouldn't have like hesitated to take Eduardo. As you pointed out, the last time we saw him, he looked sharp and fast for a guy that at the time was at least pushing 40. Uh, but that fight with uh, Nathaniel Wood. That was the whole Johnny Eduardo story right there, because in the first round of that fight, he took the wood to wood. I mean, impossible to any around. He like whooped him and then, you know, made a couple mistakes, ended up on the ground and got choked out. Um. Anyway, as as you said, you know, if these guys are the same as they looked last time we saw them, it's close to a toss up. But three years for a guy who's over 40, there's there's no possible way. Like he is human. There's no possible way that that he's uh, like as as fast as durable as he was. There's no way of knowing uh, how like the weight cut will look on him after three years. Uh, so I'm gonna go with Perez by decision as well. It's not a confident pick, and if Eduardo just comes out looking like vintage Eduardo, then hey, you know maybe he's got a little bit of life left in him at age 40, whatever the hell he is. All right. Before we move on for this fight, let's have some fun. All right. I just looked this up while you were talking. Uh, what was the number one song in the world on the the day of Johnny Eduardo's MMA debut? This is November I, 1996. I, November 1996. I'll give you three clues. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I can think of three clues, but number one, it is a Hispanic song. Is it the Macarena? It's the Macarena. <laughs> One very impressive of you to get it. My, I don't know if it was more impressive that my clue or your guess, but that was the number one song in the world when Johnny Eduardo was made. It it was replaced a week later by No Diggity by oh. Blackstreet and Dr. Dre. But that was the last week of the Macarena run at number one on, on the charts. Johnny Eduardo killing the Macarena. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Next up on the UFC Fight Night 193 prelims is another Bantamweight uh, matchup. This time, the women, it is Stephanie Egger versus Shanna Young. Egger, the 33-year-old uh, Switzerland native, is 5-2 and two overall. She is 0-1 in the UFC, um, having made her debut last October at UFC Fight Night Moraes versus Sandhagen, where she dropped a three-round decision to Tracy Cortez. She'll be taking on Young, the 30-year-old Virginia native, is 7-3 in her mixed martial arts career. She is also 0-1 in the UFC, uh, having made, I believe, a short-notice debut last February at UFC Fight Night 167. Uh, that was Anderson versus Blahovich 2. And uh, Tall Order had to take on Macy Chasson, who appears further up this card in that short-notice debut, but made it to a decision as well. Uh, and came out on the wrong side of it. So two women, uh, 
looking for their first octagon win, and they are close to a pick em in the eyes of the bookmakers, though Egger is the very slight favorite. She's around minus 125 right now, where you can get young at even money or plus 105 or so. Uh, to me, a jury is still out on whether either of these women is long for the UFC bantamweight division. I'm inclined to give Young a little more of a pass just because Macy Chasson is a contender or borderline contender uh, bantamweight and is literally a tall order, as in like she's a large woman. But that, that's a big step up in competition from what Young had been facing. Uh, <clears throat> but having said that, I don't think Edgar is a very good matchup for uh, I think Edgar is going to be physically stronger, kind of in the same way that uh, Chasson was. I think uh, Egger is a better grappler and will have the ability to take it uh, to the ground. Young has struggled with that. She lost to Sarah Alpar on uh, the Contender Series. And, you know, while I, I like Sarah Alpar a lot, at the UFC level, she's kind of a one-note wrestle grinder, and she was able to to handle Young. So uh, give me Egger in this one, and eh, uh, give me Egger by third-round submission, although... Really, I think it probably makes it to a decision, but I'll spice it up. Third round, third round submission. Oh, there you go. Uh, so this is an intriguing matchup because, yeah, you mentioned that Shane Young had a really tough matchup in her in her debut. I thought Stephanie Edgar had a tough matchup in Tracy Cortez in her debut. So it kind of goes both ways. And she took it on short notice. Now, Shane Young, she trains out of Knoxville MMA. And I just want to take a side note for a second. Like you, we've talked about. If we, if we had an official team for, you know, our show, it would probably be Fortis MMA. Uh, I've been talking about Fortis MMA, I think, before anybody you from Texas that's like our team. We kind of have a soft spot for them. Knoxville MMA, like, is whatever the opposite of Fortis is to me. Like, and that's because I'm like, I go to these Bellator shows and just see, like, Knoxville MMA people getting fed to like top Bellator prospects just to lose like Emily King going in facing somebody to get beat up. That said, like Shayna Young to me is like the one lower, not talking about Ovin Peru, the guy people, right. but I mean like the lower people trying to get into the big stage. Like she's the accession. Like she, I actually think is a, is a good addition to the UFC. Uh, I liked her on Dana White's contender series. She has a very karate style to her her game. High output, pretty fast hands. I love her overhand right. It's accurate. She's willing to eat a shot to land a shot. She, which probably not the not the best idea against a girl like Macy Chasson, who's who's humongous, but uh, tons of kicks everywhere. That's you know like like any karate background. Uh, she likes to like push side kick, like similar to Holly Holm front kick up the middle. She makes a mistake of moving her head straight back. But I like that she mixes in takedowns well with her striking. She she's willing to stay outside, kick, 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 and if you cut inside of her, she just crushes the pocket, gets in the clinch, uh, backs her opponents up, knees and elbows in the clinch, just willing to wear and grind on her opponents. Body lock takedowns, or she just kind of drop down to the hips, pull her opponents' legs out. She's a former college wrestler, so I've seen her entries, so good good entries, on top heavy ground and pound. She isn't much of a submission threat. That's probably her weakest part of the, of the ground game. But I've seen her have good cardio to go hard all 15 minutes. Now move over to Egger. The big, the big two things that stand out to me about Egger. Well, actually three things. One is she's huge for the weight class, and it, some of it's having to do against Tracy Cortez, who's very small for the weight class, so she makes it look big. But she's just big. She's a big woman. Second, 
she's fought in like high level things. So like she fought in Ryzen and got some good wins over there. And then the third thing is she she's credentialed. And we'll get to the credentials in a second. But on the feet, high output on the feet, she moves forward, throws a long jab, but she's a little flat footed. She does stand up tall, as as it is talked about how big she is, and she's she's kind of slow. Like uh, there was a punch she threw at Tracy Cortez that it was so easy for Cortez just to duck under and, and take her down because you could see it. It was very telegraphed. And she was knocked down. And to credit for Tracy Cortez, who's not really known for her striking, dropped, uh, briefly dropped Edgar with a strike. Now, when I say about her credentials, she's credentialed in a grappling. She's a judo black belt. She's a high-level BJJ competition. Uh, competed in high-level BJJ competition. She medaled at Abu Dhabi. Um, but despite having all these credentials, like her wrestling, like like really poor against Tracy Cortez. Like Cortez was taking her down with ease, and worse than just out wrestling her, which you could say, well, maybe you know didn't have a full camp, didn't have a game plan against Tracy Cortez. Maybe don't know anything about Tracy Cortez, which I remember Tracy Cortez saying about her during her pre-fight. Like, uh, like, like the you know the pre-fight media talking. Like, I don't know anything about this girl, but I'm gonna beat her up. But what I didn't like was like how easily Tracy Cortez was taking her back, which is so surprising for a credential grappler. Uh, but the good thing is she is a submission threat. She does have two submissions on a threat, and she has a very judo style to her submission game. And what I mean by that, if people haven't seen that, judo people jump to submissions quickly. That's why you always see Ronda Rousey get the quick one. It's part of their style because they have quick stand-ups in judo. As far as prediction goes, <clears throat> it's a very tough fight. I'm gonna go the opposite of you. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with my Knoxville MMA. You know, you know how much Knox, I love Knoxville MMA. So I'm gonna go with my Knoxville MMA girl. I think she's more athletic. I think she's a better striker. I think she's uh, more polished. And she's more experienced. And I just simply think she's gonna win the win the wrestling battles. And I don't know if she will dominate like Cortez did, but until I see better defensive grappling from Edgar, I'm gonna basically take someone who can out grapple her. And I think that's Young. So give me Young. I'll take her by. Decision, but with like n- not much confidence at all. There you go. We have a mild upset pick and some disagreements very early in the card. This is what you tune in for, folks. And I'm weight division, but bounce over once again to the other locker room uh, for a matchup between men's bantamweights, Douglas Silva de Andrade and Gaetano Perello. Silva de Andrade, the 36 year old from uh, northern Brazil, is 26 and 4 with one no contest in his lengthy career. He is an even four and four since joining the UFC. Uh, fought most recently back in January at UFC on ESPN, Chiesa versus Magni, where he lost a uh, unanimous decision to Laron Murphy. Before that, uh, he won a decision over Hanan Barrow uh, back in November of 2019 at UFC Fight Night, Blahovich versus Jacare. He'll be taking on uh, Pirello. The 29-year-old Belgian is 15-6-1 overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, made his debut at the same card as uh, his opponent, actually. And he got choked out in the second round by Ricky Simone. Uh, the Brazilian is a comfortable favorite here. He's out there at minus 240 or so. Uh, Pirello... Uh, plus 200, plus 205 as the uh, two-to-one underdog. Uh, Keith, this this feels like an exciting fight on paper. Uh, do you agree? And uh, who do you think wins? Yeah, I, I do agree because there's a mystery about one of the fighters, and if he can, and he, if he's fixed a hole, 
it makes me a very intriguing matchup. Now, I'll start with uh, the more well-known fighter, Douglas Silver, DeAndrage, or, or Douglas, or, or, if I said his first name wrong. Uh, it's kind of a theme we have with older Bantamweights. He's 36, which you hate for a guy in a lower weight class. But skill-wise, there's some things I still like him. He's a high-pressure fighter. He's a short guy who just likes to slide into the pocket and load a barrage of power shots, similar to like a John Lineker. A lot of hooks. He does throw from his hips, so he loses a little bit of power for his lack of technique, which is extra bad considering power shots is what he's constantly looking for. He loads up on almost everything. But he, if he does connect, he can hurt you. His left hook is his best punch. He throws out come, come spinning attacks. I said this is the last time we broke down one of his fights. He throws out spinning attacks, but he kind of just wastes energy with it. They're not too effective. I don't like that he doesn't check leg kicks, and that's because he sits on his punch so much. But he's not one-dimensional. I like that. In his grappling, it might be his best part. Decent entries on his takedowns. Um, he's a good top-side grappler. He, he, he kind of reminds me more of like a RDA where – if you put him on his back, he struggles, but on top, he's he's really good. And he has a weak de- defensive wrestle. So you can put him on his back. Uh, I mean, he couldn't get up from Hennon Burrell. I mean, that was a strategy Hennon Burrell was trying to pull on him. Uh, and he only has and, one. That, and that was the ghost of Hennon Burrell by that point. <clears throat> I, yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I absolutely watched that Hennon Burrell. Uh, he only has one submission win. Uh, but I'll give him credit. He, he has slowed down recently. Uh, but I have seen him go hard with his cardio for for you know big portions. Like he'll get through at least two rounds of the bag before he starts fading. Now move over to Perillo. Perillo's a really good kickboxer. I mean, he's a former K1 champion. Uh, he's a counter striker who has got fast, accurate hands, good power, lots of kicks. Be- I love his up the middle movements, his step in knees. Uh, his plumb clinch is very, very dangerous. Will batter opponents with knees up the middle and in, in the plumb clinch um very anderson silver-esque prime antic anderson silver versus rich franklin that 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 era where if you got the plumb clinch with anderson silver you're in trouble so everything on the feet is really good and really exciting but his takedown defense is god awful it's really bad and um, we saw the ricky simone fight you put him down he's not getting back up the round's over and uh, like he th- it sucks to have bad takedown defense, but it makes it even worse if you can't get right back up. So, I, as far as prediction goes, I really like Perlo striking. If Perlo's like starches, Deandrage, especially you know thirty six year old Deandrage, that would not shock me by any means if he puts him out in one minute, puts on a striking clinic. But and and, and this is the guy I'm saying that he has a hole. If he fix it, if he could fix his takedown defense, I would I would I'd really feel good about him moving forward. But until I see that he can beat someone that that has a grappling background, I'm simply not going to pick him. I'm going to basically the same thing I just said about Stephanie Egger. I think DeAndrage takes him down and beats him on the ground and and keeps him there on the ground. So give me DeAndrage, I'll say, by unanimous decision. Yeah, I'm totally with you on this one. I can't get out of my head the – Ricky Simone versus Perello fight because unless Andrade has fallen off a cliff. And again, he fought like eight months ago. It's not three years unless he's fallen off a cliff. Uh, he's completely capable of doing that same thing to Perello. Like there's, there's a little bit of Simone in his wrestling where he does have good entries, but he finishes, you know, by being good at, you know, chain wrestling, being very persistent, you know, and just not giving up on it until 
the, the fights on the ground. He did that to Perello. Also, like, hurt Perello with a strike in the middle of a takedown while Perello's, like, all, like, trying to plant his hand so he doesn't get kneed in the head. Like, someone just elbowed him in the head. Um, like, I, I can see Andrade doing that same exact thing to, to Perello. And I just... I'm having a hard time picturing that like a career kickboxer in his thirties has turned a huge corner with his defensive wrestling in a matter of, of eight or nine months. So why do I feel like we have another highly decorated kickboxer who we would keep waiting to improve their grappling and it hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. Like we'll, and we'll get to that. We should, <laughs> yeah. And we should mention on this card. Yep, on this card. Yep, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about him or her, you know, in in just a little bit here. But uh, I think this could actually get ugly. Um, you know, Silva DeAndre, again, it might fall off at any point since he is moving into the tail end of his thirties. But uh, he's proven himself capable of keeping up a pretty good pace for a pretty good amount of time. I don't know that about Perello, especially if Perello is losing a, re- a wrestling heavy fight and just getting worn on. So uh, give me Douglas over the Andrade by second round TKO on the ground. The UFC Vegas 38 prelims head up to the lightweight division next for a matchup between Devontae Smith and Jamie Malarkey. Smith, the 28-year-old Ohio native, is 11-2 overall. He's 3-1 in the UFC since joining out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he has defeated Julian Arosa, Dong Yun Ma, and Justin Janes, all by uh, KO or TKO. Uh, all of those wrapped around a TKO loss to Kama Worthy that, if I recall correctly, is one of the bigger betting upsets in uh, UFC history. Uh, he is taking on Malarkey, the 27-year-old Australian, is 13-4 and overall. He is one and two in the UFC. He dropped his first two fights uh, to Brad Riddell and Ferris Zayam before coming back with a win over Worthy. Uh, that just a first round KO in under a minute at uh, UFC 260 back in March. Odds on this one are fairly close, but uh, Smith is the slight favorite. He's minus 155. You can get Malarkey at plus 135 or so. Uh, Keith, this fight presents is pretty much a matchup of polar opposites the explosive striker versus the grindy uh wrestler but both men have a little more than that to their game uh how do you see this fight playing out and who wins yeah i actually think both guys are well-rounded this is my favorite fight in the entire card this this is a very intriguing matchup i think this should be a pick fight uh and i that's because i think jimmy malarkey is grossly underrated fighter uh, I, you know, let's start with. I was gonna start with Smith, but I'll start with with Markley. First thing I'm gonna say is I thought he beat Zion. Uh, I checked MMA decisions. It was 15 to two in favor of Malarkey. He's he's unathletic. That's like the thing about him. Like he's not Devonte Smith. Like, but he just makes up with like insane toughness. I Man, just watch his Brad Riddell fight. To give to even be competitive against Brad Riddell, who I, you know I'm crazy about. It. I know you're very high on him too. Is is very impressive. He's he's kind of slow. He has a not that he fights on, but he has like a uh, what's it, like a Gerald Mershot craftiness in him, or like a Darren Elkins toughness. Like he's you see him and he doesn't jump off the charts like things about him, but he's just gonna keep the pressure on you and he's gonna make it tough and he's gonna crack you in the pocket and he's gonna land. And I mean, he almost 
knocked out and sub Brad Riddell in their fight, and then he did knock out Kamal Worthy in his last fight. Uh, so he's he's got he's got a he's got this weird striking ability to him that is very effective. I, I like that he targets calf kicks. He showed his heart and his toughness in the Riddell fight, where he can take a beating and keep moving forward. And as you mentioned, he can wrestle. You know, he's 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 a good chain wrestler. He chains takedowns together. He's relentless at getting it to the ground when he's on top. Top control is very very good, and he's got great cardio. Like he, Devontae Smith might win this fight, but it's not going to be an easy fight for him. Um, now move on to Devontae Smith. Uh, He's like the complete opposite. Like he's a fighter with huge athleticism that could easily move up to the upper echelon of the division if his technique catches up with his athleticism. He's an aggressive striker that can be too aggressive at times, can get wild and just let game plan go out the door. But when he hunkers down, something we've seen like a, like a Nico Price where they kind of settle himself down, fast hands, explosive power, his straight right and uh, his step-in uppercut are two of the best strikes he has. It's really good. I like his step-in knees. I like that he was going to the calf. In, even though he got knocked out, he was working the calves in the common worthy fight. Um, his his last opponent, uh, I'm drawing a blank, uh, was was absolutely no match for him, like, speed-wise. Uh, what was the guy that he busted up his eye? Uh, what was his uh, last Justin James. Justin, Justin James. James. Yeah, like, was, that was just a mismatch of athleticism. That's what you should see when a guy's that much quicker and faster he's got good footwork to avoid the tax when he gets in the clinch he does well to batter the body with landing knees i think he's a serviceable wrestler i mean he wrestled in high school i want to see he's a powerful wrestler and i actually would give the wrestling edge probably to malarkey uh and and that goes back to like the note i wrote on him way back when he was on uh the contender series that he was held down in a wrestling in a match by john gunther well, which is which is not like, but he's aggressive on he's on top of his ground and pound if he ends up that way. So as far as prediction goes, this is my fight of the night pick. I think it's I think I like both guys a lot. I think we should I, I think as I said, I think it should pick and fight. If it keeps on the feet, which I think it's gotta have a lot of questions, I think it's gonna be fireworks. Like, I don't think it's gonna be a shut up by Smith like everyone like a lot of people think. And it would not surprise me if Smith gets taken down by Malarkey. Malarkey wins a very close battle. I'm going to go with just a, simply the better athlete, the guy who has the higher sailing. And I'm going to take Smith, but with not much confidence. Like, I like Malarkey a lot. Uh, I, I love the breakdown there. And I'm leaning in the opposite direction here and taking the slight flyer on Malarkey just for the, the reason that, I mean, Smith has still never been to a decision in his career. And for the most part, he barely gets out of the first round. For a guy who's carrying the kind of muscle he is and is as fast twitch as he is, you know, and and tends to kind of push the pace in the first round, I'm curious to know what he looks like in the in the third round of a fight. And he's fighting a guy in Malarkey that's probably not going to go away, is probably going to try to wrestle, and has proven that he does have three-round cardio. So if, if Smith catches Malarkey and just starches him inside of three minutes, I won't be too surprised. But if this thing gets past the midpoint of the second round, I'm not going to be surprised to see the momentum, if it hasn't already, shift in the direction of Malarkey. And maybe he can get takedowns that he wasn't able to get in the early going just because he wasn't quick or strong enough to really get in on, on Smith's hips. Uh, but I, I am going to take the slight flyer here and pick Malarkey to win a decision where he almost certainly loses the first round but wins the second and third. Yeah, you got me feeling like a whip now for not doing the same. 
<laughs> You'll feel better when when Malarkey's staring at the lights in two minutes. Like <laughs> only time will tell. Well, Keith, we've arrived at the fight and the moment we've all been waiting for. There are no titles left to fight for. There are no horse women left to tame or ride. I don't know what you do with the poor horse women, but hey, it, hey it, who, who was the fourth? Like it was Ronda Rousey. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Jessamine Duke. Or just yep. how do I say her name? Uh, yeah, Jessamine Duke. Um, the other girl in WWF. What's, what's uh, the the guitar girl? They used to come out with the guitar. Uh, Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler. Sorry, Shayna Baszler. Who was the fourth one? The supernova from Moldova, Marina Shafir. Oh, she yeah. never actually even made it to the UFC. No, she didn't. That's why I don't remember who she was. Yeah. There you go. All right, carry on. Sorry, carry on. Well, as you may have guessed, it is the swan song of one Betch Cohea, the Brazilian legend. And in her farewell fight, or what we've been told is her farewell fight, she'll be taking on uh, her countrywoman, Carl Hosa. Uh, Cohea, the 38-year-old Brazilian, is 11-5-1 overall. She is an even 5-5 five five in the UFC. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, came out of uh, Brazil. Uh, ended up coaching against... No, she didn't coach against Rousey. No, no. She she just became enemies with Rousey by like by beating up her her homies, uh, and, and she was talking and fought, trash to her. Yeah, and fought her way to a, a title fight. You know that one didn't go so well for her, but you know stuck around uh, the UFC for several more years. Though she had a you know a hiatus of like almost a full year there, but she fought most recently last July, dropping a unanimous decision to Pani Kianzad at UFC on ESPN Whitaker versus Till. Uh, she's taking on uh, Hosa, the 26-year-old uh, Brazilian, is 14 and three overall. She is a perfect three and zero since joining the UFC uh, back in 2019. She is defeating Laura Procopio, Vanessa Mello, and most recently, just this February, Jocelyn Edwards, whom she beat via unanimous decision at UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Volkov. Uh, while this is Cohea's farewell fights uh it doesn't look likely at least on the odds books to be a a happy farewell as she is uh plus 285 as the one of the bigger underdogs on the card hosa is minus 350 as the favorites keith why are they going to do betch cohea like this matching her up against a three to one favorite on the undercard of a mediocre fight night yeah getting close to four to one I mean, is this a retirement or a burial? Uh, yeah. Well, I'll say this. I don't think Hosa should be a you know, negative 350 favorite. Like, Betchko here is like, she's not good, but she's in a lot of close fights. So I, I don't think she should be this big of an underdog, but she is 38 years old. It's like, it seems to be our theme tonight of aging Brazilian fighters. Uh, she's a boxer, good output on her feet, throws a lot of combinations. She she has a very hold your ground type game to her where she just she's not gonna move her feet, she's gonna stand there when you attack, she's trying to beat you to the point of contact. It's a very, 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 very poor woman's version of Alex Volkanovsky. Like that's his that's what he likes to do. I, I shouldn't bring that up, but you know, he's he's in my head because he fought last week. Uh, she she loves to brawl in the pocket. She likes to target the body, like go downstairs with like a hook to the body, then come back upstairs with a hook to the head. 
But our issues are she isn't much of an athlete. She is slow. She throws a lot of arm punches, lacks power, lacks head movement, uh, will get tagged. Uh, as far as a grapple go, she will go for a takedown, and she's surprisingly good at chaining takedown together. Like, she's good at, you know, like shooting on a single and and running the pipe on it or turning the corner. Is a move I used to do when I was wrestling. We used to call it the Lewis, but it's just like cutting the hip down and covering the body, kind of getting that higher position. She's good at those things. Um, and she, if she's on top, she she knows how to like win a round by just holding him down and sitting in the guard and, and ground and pounding. And to her credit, even at 30, or last time, was probably 37 when we last seen her, she's got good cardio. Like, she won't tire down. Like, she's going to be in the fight. She's going to make it grimy, which is why... If I'm laying money at negative 350, and, and, and again, I'm not some betting expert. I'm, I'm not Yanni the Greek or anything. I would be nervous to bet, you know, against someone like Betch Quirk. Because, like, in the third round, she's still going to be in it. Now, move on to Jose. What I like about her, she's 26. She's big for the weight class. She's main training partner of Jessica Andrade. I like that they were doing, you know, Andrade just fought a week ago. So I like that they were probably doing camp together. She's a high-volume striker, pretty accurate, works behind a jab, tight, pipe. You know, punches down the pipe, nice one-twos. Uh, she's got some. I said this last time. She's she's pretty raw defensively, but like it seems like areas that she can improve. Uh, she stands a little tall for my liking. She lacks head movement. Uh, she's a little flat-footed. Like those are things that she can fix. But I like that she targets low kicks. Uh, and I sh- in her last two fights, really wrestle heavy. She can win by using her wrestling. Uh, she did it against Vanessa Mello. She did it against Jocelyn Edwards. Jocelyn Edwards makes sense. Like, that's how you should – everyone should fight Jocelyn Edwards. Uh, but on top, busy ground and pound on top. And I like that every UFC fight, she's looked better and better in each fight. So as far as prediction goes, like, I'm not going to do what a lot of people say, like, I'm not going to say I'm going to miss Betch Coher because I'm not going to miss Betch Coher. She had a nice run. I mean, she like, kind of had a nice run, I guess. I mean, it, it, I'll say this. It was a creative way to get to Ronda Rousey at the time by going after the four horsewoman nonsense. Uh, and she made everyone believe that Ronda Rousey had good boxing. Like, I'll give her that credit. She's, she's the one person on earth that made us believe that. Uh, and, and honestly, side note, like, yeah, we, Ryan Rossi does not have good boxing, and she didn't. But that knockout of Betch Carrera, like, that's a harder accomplishment than people think of it is. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not saying Ronda was a good boxer. She just landed some good shots that night. Okay, back to this. Uh, as far as this fight, I, I think Rossi's going to be too fast. I think she outworks her on the feet, which is actually a big accomplishment to outwork her, but I think she'll land better shots. I think, like I said, I think it's a closer battle than negative 350. But give me roasted by decision and goodbye, Betch Koya. If it's true, let's remember, if it's true, we might not be that lucky. Dude, you made a couple of points here that I really, really like. Uh, one is that, yeah, I mean, Ronda Rousey's boxing became a punchline by the end. Like, we all saw that gif of her, like, it, it was terrible. And, and the whole, you know... Edmund Tarverdi and screaming head movement, head movement, as she showed no head movement and just got her block knocked off. But if if knocking out Bechkohea was easy, it wouldn't have taken Holly Holm two and a half rounds to do it. And oh, by the way, Holm lost the first two rounds. Holm was losing to Bechkohea until high- she like head kicked her. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's the other thing. Holly Holm, the champion boxer, had to go to the head kick, which was probably her like her best weapon in, in MMA anyway. But yeah, that that is an achievement. Uh, Bet Gohea got where she is. Yeah, there was the, the nice little like promotional angle she thought up where she did the whole like three, two, four. I don't know how she was going to get Marina Shafir. Maybe she can go fight her after this. Like once that, she's out of the That UFC. was going to be her first title defense. That was yeah. going to be her first. That would you have to, right? <laughs> it would have had to be at lightweight. Shafir was a big girl. But um, anyway, uh, Kohea got where she got with toughness and, you know, constant incremental self-improvement. She, I mean, she is a minus athlete for sure. Like, but maximized what she did have. Like, the things you can control, she did. Like, she was strong. She had good cardio and the willingness to weaponize it by pushing a pace. I mean, that's that's really how she beat Duke and Baszler, was she just wore him down. She wore Duke down to a decision. She wore Baszler down to really just kind of melting against the fence. Like, Baszler's taking harder, harder shots than that, but she just wilted because she was miserable in there with Kohea all makes. over her. Same with Eubanks. Yeah, same, same with Eubanks. Like, uh, yeah, Kohea, for, for all the kind of goofiness, like really a, a pretty impressive overachieving type career. And I feel as though Bolsa is similar in broad strokes. Like, she's not a great athlete either. She is at least is physically big for the weight class and strong, but she's not a fast twitch athlete by, by any stretch. But she's someone who just seems to be improving from fight to fight and has a little bit more of a head start on it. Like she's at this at a younger age. She's got a, I mean, I couldn't think of a much better training partner for someone in that general uh, weight range than just having Jessica Andrade pile driving you, you know, a, a couple times a week, pun fully in, intended. But yeah, just Carl Hosa is the, the new model here. She's bigger. She's younger, and the things that have traditionally carried Betch Kohea to her best moments in the sport, they're just not going to work on Hosa. Like, uh, even though Kohea has some, you know, uh, TKO finishes, she's not a one-hitter-quitter type. She's a willing wrestler and probably an underrated wrestler, as you pointed out, but so is Hosa, and Hosa is younger, bigger, and stronger. You know, like, the main difference between them is that Hosa is a little more willing to, to flex the wrestling. This is just a bad matchup. For for Kohea, I agree that she shouldn't be like a like Hosa shouldn't be minus three forty five, but I, I'm not putting any money on it. I, I think this is just going to be kind of depressingly predictable. All three rounds are competitive, but all three go to Hosa. Like, give me Carol Hosa by unanimous decision. I'll say this: if if she's really going to retire and that she keeps to her word, I hope Pitch Carol wins. <laughs> oh, for for storyline value, me too. Because then, I mean, she'll cry and she'll scream. She'll do the little booty dance and, like, it'll be, like... All right, no, no booty. Everything but the booty dance. <laughs> but, but the crying and, yeah, yeah. I'll never forget, like, like the first time she did that and Big John was the ref. And Big John just kind of reached out and patted her on the butt. Like, she was, like, one of his, like, JV, like JV baseball players at, like, the, the high school. <laughs> Dude, yeah. you can't do that. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I'll tell you what I think of it <laughs> off the air. Don't want to get us in trouble. <laughs> one of these, one of these times, guys. The, if you're watching this right now, we're just gonna hit you with the full bloopers and outtakes reel. I mean, it no, will be, it will take the form of my my resignation from Sherlock. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the undercard moves down now to the flyweight division, and it is a matchup between Antonina Shevchenko and Casey O'Neill. 
Uh, Shevchenko, of course, the older sister of UFC flyweight champ Valentina Shevchenko, who uh, put in uh, a night of light work uh, last Saturday, is 36 years old, uh, born in Kyrgyzstan, lived in Peru, uh, lived in Thailand, been all over. Uh, she is 9-3 and three in MMA uh, after a fairly lengthy kickboxing career. Uh, she is 3-3 three and three since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. She has alternated wins and losses back and forth throughout that tenure, uh, beating Ji Yun Kim, losing to Roxanne Mataferi, beating uh, Lucy Putalova, losing to Caitlin Chukagian, beating Ariane Lipsky and, uh, in her most recent appearance back in May, uh, losing to Andrea Lee by uh, triangle armbar submission at uh, UFC 262. She'll be taking on O'Neill. The 23-year-old Australian is a perfect 7-0. and uh, She is 2-0 and since joining the UFC uh, just really at the beginning of this year. She has beaten Shanna Dobson and Laura Procopio. Uh, the Procopio fight just back in June at UFC on ESPN, Korean Zombie versus Ige. Uh, O'Neill, a pretty comfortable favorite here. She's minus 225, minus 230 or so. Shevchenko, plus 190 on the comeback. Uh, this is the thing about Antonina Shevchenko. She rode into the UFC with the UFC's very obvious goodwill behind her. Uh, I, I'm sure you remember as well as I do her appearance on the Contender Series. She struggled with Jamaline Nievera. And th they were talking about someone who was more or less a hand-picked opponent for her to style on. And still struggled with her before getting the, the second round TKO. And the UFC signed her anyway. And this is back in 2018 when winning on the Contender Series was not by any means a guaranteed ticket to the UFC. I mean, it's really only this uh, season and last season that that's become the case. But the UFC signed her and has matched her very, very appropriately. And I'm not even saying they've softballed her because I wish the UFC would do this more often. I, I you know, uh, they've not fed her to the wolves at all. And that's in evidence by the fact that six fights into her UFC career, she is three and three, and she's been the betting favorite every single time. They they have like graded competition down to where they think Antonina Shevchenko is for every fight in the almost three years she's been in the UFC at this point. That all changes now. Casey O'Neill is a dazzling prospect. She is a two to one favorite. And unfortunately for uh, Ms. Shevchenko, she is a savage. Uh, I, I think this is the point where the UFC, I mean, they're not fully cutting bait on this one. If Shevchenko wins, all the marketing push is going to go right back behind her as, wow, you know, she took out one of the hottest prospects in the UFC. But this does feel a little bit like feeding the old lions to the new. You know, they've given Shevchenko every chance to even approach what her sister has done. It hasn't really panned out. And it's been pretty predictable. She's beaten the not very good fighters. and. You know what? Up until very recently, Ariane Lipsky was not a very good fighter at the UFC level. She's really just turned a corner actually since her loss to uh, to Shevchenko. And she's lost to the good ones. Like, she's lost to Lee, she lost to Chikagi, and she lost to Mataferi. Uh, the problem with Shevchenko is she has the same basic skill set as Valentina Shevchenko, but just none of the athleticism and explosion. I mean, she's almost like a, a striking Roxanne Mataferi, where she, like, you know, Mataferi has very solid fundamentals to her grappling, but sometimes doesn't have the physical horsepower to make it work against less skilled but more talented fighters. Shevchenko's kind of the same way. 
Uh, and of course, Shevchenko's ground game is nothing approaching uh, her, her sisters. You've pointed out that uh, Valentina Shevchenko's ground game may actually be more dangerous than her striking. That is not the case for, for Antonina. It's just never stuck. Maybe it's because of the uh, lack of athleticism. Maybe it's because of the different body type. I mean, she's tall and leggy where uh, Valentina is more compact. Like takedown defense was always going to be a problem for Antonina. But whatever the reason, it's just it's just never really taken. And at 36, I mean, a few fighters develop whole new wrinkles to their game in their mid to late 30s. Modafferi is one of them. Mike Pyle was one of them, but there aren't many. And she's getting fed to Casey O'Neill, who is aggressive, athletic, a finisher on the feet and on the ground. And this just like this is this is going to look worse than it is in terms of their actual skill levels, uh, because O'Neill's just going to be able to decide where this fight takes place. I think she she can probably beat up Shevchenko on the feet. If she wants to bring it to the ground, I think she'll be able to. And it'll just be a complete destruction there. Give me Casey O'Neill by second round stoppage. And I'm going to say TKO, but TKO or sub, I think it happens on the ground. Yeah, the only thing I disagree on it was like one of the last things you said that you think she can win on the feet. I disagree with that. I, I like it, Shevchenko on the feet. I think she's one of the best strikers in all of it, women's MMA on the feet. She marches forward. She darts in and out of range really well. She works behind a crisp jab. Her axie is really good. Um, she only needs a really small opening to have success. We've seen her hurt people. Uh, even in fights like Caitlin Chikagian, a fight that she was easily getting dominated, she actually had brief moments from just taking out a, a girl who's actually a pretty decent striker herself. And Well, she she fakes that she's a good striker by throwing punches in the air and making sounds. But um, her her left her left um, her straight left right hook combo is a really good. Uh, weapon of hers she can throw kicks everywhere she's not a bad clinch striker where she can land knees and elbows in, in that but as you mentioned she is so one-dimensional her wrestling is so bad it, it, it and it's surprising considering she comes from a judo background and she's training judo just like her sister uh she can't get up from bottom at all and she's so inconsistent like the times where you're like wow maybe she has learned she looked good against Ariana Lipsky. Well, that's when she was on top and everything was going right. But when you put her on her back, like her last fight, she looked worse than ever against Andrea Lee. Now, move on to Casey O'Neill, as you mentioned. She's only 23. She trains at Tiger Muay Thai. If you want to become Antonio Shevchenko level on striking, that's a pretty good place to work. Uh, I know she bounces around. I know she trains everywhere. But, like, that's one of her areas, I should say. So I shouldn't say it's not her only team, but it's one of her team. Uh, and I think that's, like, her thing, that she will be at Extreme Couture and then she'll be at this place and that place. And um, she's a Muay Thai style striker on, on the feet, high volume, fast hands, accurate. Uh, she does keep her chin high, but I like her stand up. So, like, even though I'm saying I don't think she's as good on the feet as Antoine Shevchenko, like, she's very promising, especially at only 23 years old. But I really like her wrestling. She chains takedowns together, as you mentioned. Um, she needs to find a way to set up her shots with a striking battle, like using her strike and mixing them in, you know, setting up her entries with her striking. But solid grappling, heavy top pressure, good ground and, ground and pound. You go to the uh, Shana Dobson fight in her debut where she just ground and pounded the crap out of her. Uh, she has a submission threat. She got a submission in her last fight against Laura Procopio. So as the prediction goes, so I did the contender series and doing pre-tape study of 
Antonina Shevchenko, like, I liked her coming into the contender series. I thought she was going to be one of the best fighters in the division. Uh, I was really wrong about Antonina Shevchenko. I, I'll tout my own when I get something right. Like, I'll also admit when I get something wrong. She hasn't been a total bust, but she's been so inconsistent. I simply have no confidence in her anymore. I'm not nearly as high on Casey O'Neill as some others are. Like, there's, pe- there's people thinking she's going to be a title challenger, maybe even a champion one day. But she's only 23 years old, so there is so much growth, and I like I like her moving forward. I just think, as, as you said, I think she just outgrapples Shevchenko. I think she beats her up on the ground, and then I actually think she finds a submission and, and catches her in a submission late. So give me O'Neal by third-round submission. And what I like is I feel like there's a storyline getting set up with her beating up Antoinette. And if I'm – like, she's young, and, and, and if I'm her corner, you know, when – this is what I would say to her because I'm, you know, I like a little trash talk here and there. You know, when you win, you go over and you shake the other corner's hand. You just have a brief when you go over and shake Valentina's hand. Just make sure their camera's close enough to hear you say something like, "Guess what, baby? I'm coming for you." Right to her or, face as you as you're shaking her hand. Okay, go or go old school. Just be like Tito and pull out a, a t-shirt. You know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not the Mezger shirt that that didn't even go over well in like 1999. But you know. It's, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> or, do say something. They say, yeah. they say something and set yourself up for you know uh, the countdown show two years from now. Oh yeah, you know, hey, she's fighting right after Kohea. Like, do some sort of like horse women thing, like you know the, <laughs> the, the, the two. There you go. <laughs> well, you don't want to have like uh, Shayna Baszler come out the, uh, you know. My move. God, that Shayna Baszler's music. <laughs> We power on in the UFC Vegas 38 prelims with a lightweight matchup between Joe Selecki and Jared Gordon. It is New Jersey versus New York. Uh, Selecki, the 28-year-old New Jersey native, is 11-2 overall. He is a perfect 3-0 since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, Over that period, he has beaten a couple of elder statesmen in Matt Wyman and Jim Miller. Uh, sandwiched around a submission of Austin Hubbard. He is taking on Gordon, the 33-year-old from Queens, is 17-4 and four overall. He is 5-3 and three since joining the UFC out of uh, Cage Fury Fighting Championships. He uh, is on a two-fight win streak over Chris Fishgold and Danny Chavez, the uh, most recent of those coming at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis back in February. Uh, odds on this one slightly favor Selecki. He is minus 135. Uh, Gordon is available at plus 115 as the very slight underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one and how? Yeah, this is an intriguing one. So I'll start with Jared Gordon. I mean, Gordon, he, he's not a great athlete. He's, he's not the most elusive guy, but he's pretty technically sound. He's a boxer, Chris tight boxing. Uh, he showed great output in his last fight against Danny Chavez, a guy that I picked to beat him. Uh, I like that he rips the body. Defensively, he has some holes. I mean, back straight up, he drops his hands. He kind of um, pillars a lot. But he's well-rounded. He can sneak in a takedown. He's a good grappler. I mean, I was surprised at how he outgrappled Chris Fishgold, who's, who's a decent grappler himself. Solid top control, good ground and pound. Uh, he's just a guy that he's 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 just finds ways to win. He's a better fighter than jumps off the page. Now, but what's Selecki on the feet? He's a counter striker, uses a lot of feints, also likes to switch stances, throws basic boxing combinations down the pipe, just one twos down the middle. Uh, he does throw a lot of combinations himself. 
he tends to lack one true knockout power. Like he, I'd be shocked if he like knocked out Gordon. Uh, but I love the little things he does. For example, he, he switches a lot of stance. So depending on what stance his opponent is, he likes to be in the reverse stance and like throw a hard kick to the body, which is always open, which I like. Also, he's he doesn't mind you catching his kick because he doesn't mind it going to the ground because he's a fantastic grappler. Uh, when it comes to wrestling, good entries, good at winning scrambles. This guy's been training BJJ since he was six years old, and he truly is one of the, the most opportunistic grapplers in the division or in the UFC. He's got eight submission wins, I believe, on his record, and he's not just a topside guy. Like He's shown great flexibility to get subs off his back. As far as prediction goes, this is a tough one, and it's, and it's, it's tough simply because I just constantly find ways to doubt Jared Gordon, and then he finds ways to win. Like I pitched Fiskel to give him. Uh, I I believe I took Danny Chavez. I think I picked both those guys over him, and Jared Gordon found a way. It wouldn't surprise me if Jared Gordon does it all. Does it again? Like he <laughs> finds a way to win over a better grappler in Selecki. The thing I like about Selecki is Selecki knows what he's good at. He knows he's a good grappler. He knows it's best to get there. He's an intelligent fighter. I mean, even like Jim Miller, he took him down and like didn't take any chances because, yeah, he was better than him on the ground, but like why take any chances against a guy like Jim Miller? I'm going to win like this. So he gives him he gives himself the best opportunity to win. So I think Gordon's going to give him battle. If Gordon finds a way to win, it's not going to shock me. But ultimately, I think Gordon's going to spend too much time on the bottom. Give me Selecki by decision. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning the same way you are, and I have the same reservations. I'm also a guy that just always finds a way to pick against Gordon. I just find my complaints of the month to pick at, you know, for, for this fight. My, my complaints of, of the month to pick at for this one is that Jared Gordon in the UFC is almost a story of two different guys. Like, featherweight Gordon and, and lightweight Gordon are, you know, like, they're really a different look. Uh, Gordon is, I think, better able to make his game work against featherweights. Just he, his wrestling seems to translate better there, whether he wants to use it to keep the fight standing or take it to the ground. And uh, against, you know, lightweights or i mean he beat chavez but he missed weight badly for that fight he weighed like 150 for a, a featherweight fight for that one here he's going against a, a full-fledged lightweight and Slecky, as you pointed out is a willing specialist because he knows what he what he's good at and pursues it intelligently i, I just don't think it's a great matchup for gordon uh i i think so probably going to be able to get this fight to the ground and even if he doesn't like go for broke looking for a submission is just going to be able to keep Gordon there and stay busy enough to uh, to keep it there and win rounds. So I'm going to take Selecki by decision as well. The top prelim at UFC Fight Night 193 is a lightweight matchup between Alexander Hernandez and Mike Breeden. Uh, I spoke of just a few minutes ago about Antonina Shevchenko and whether her current matchup may be an indication that the UFC is yeah, maybe ready to move on after you know, some some mixed results. Uh, if that is true, Hernandez's matchup is an example of the exact opposite. Uh, <clears throat> Hernandez, 12-4 and four overall. He's 4-3 and three since joining the UFC back in uh, 2018. Uh, fought most recently at UFC Fight Night, Rosenstrike versus Gone, back in February, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Tiago Moises. But he has 
alternated wins and losses for his last uh, six fights. He's beaten Donald Cerrone, or sorry, he's lost to Donald Cerrone, Drew Dober, and Moises, while beating Olivier Aubin-Mercier, Francisco Trinaldo, and Chris Gritzmacher. Uh, all of that, you know, has happened since he made a huge splash in his debut by icing Benil Dariush in like 45 seconds uh, in, in his first fight in the UFC. Nonetheless, uh, Hernandez is going to be taking on the debuting Breeden. Uh, the 32-year-old out of glory MMA and fitness is 10-3 and three overall. Uh, he actually competed on Dana White's Contender Series last August, dropping a unanimous decision to Anthony Romero, obviously not being signed, but uh, going back to the Midwest, winning two more fights, and now gets the call up. And it is a tall order. Uh, Hernandez, one of the biggest favorites on the card, minus 500, uh, Breeden plus 400. Uh, Keith, the look, looks like... Uh, I don't know why the UFC signed Mike Breeden to come fight Alexander Hernandez. I I frankly don't get it. Like his, his shot on the Contender Series didn't leave me thinking that he looked particularly like octagon material. So... Uh, Tell me, tell me what you see here and, you know, how you see this fight playing out. Well, I'll say this about Braden. He, he won against Anthony Mar uh, Romero, who's a guy I like. So I'll give him a pass on that, like his contender series. Uh, Romero's a guy that uh, I think is, has a pretty good future in, in, in MMA. I don't understand why they signed Braden to fight Alex Hernandez. I don't mind the signing of breeding though. Like Alex Hernandez has done enough already to get a you know better name at this point. Now I understand uh it was an extremely short notice way as Santos just dropped out. So you know, not ideal. Still think they could probably found somebody for Alex Hernandez. Uh Hernandez is a very strong guy. He's well rounded, technically sound boxing, pretty fast hands, accurate hands, does well to dart in and out of range. I love his left jab to the body overhand right combo that he kept landing on Chris Goosemarker before I put him out. Uh, hard kicks, does well to mix in punches and kicks together. So, like, his combination would be ended with a kick. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, and on the feet, nice scrambles, nice entries. Uh, doesn't initiate a lot of wrestling, but he can wrestle when he wants to. Move with the Breeden. The one thing I love about Breeden. Uh, and and this is kind of something I've I've never seen. I just love guys who fight Glory MMA. Like I think James Krause is when he finally retires, he's going to be one of the premier coaches. I think that Jim will actually probably grow even bigger when when he finally hangs it up. It's just uh, going to be such a, a great team on the feet. Very composed striker. He uses a lot of feints to set up his shots. I'd say his fast hands. I like the way he like whips his overhand right. He's got some good power in that. I like that he targets the body, good calf kicks, got a quick high kick. Uh, some negatives, though, he doesn't like being pressured. And I haven't seen enough of his on the ground to say that he's a threat there. I've actually seen him out-muscled against the fence uh, on the regional scene. But he has strong takedown fence. I've seen him fight off takedowns. Uh, nothing I don't like is that he's been cracked in the chin. Like I've seen him hurt on the feet in, in previous fights. So as far as prediction goes, I don't think – Alex Hernandez is elite in the division, but I think he's solid. I think he's shown that he's, you know, extremely tough task for anybody making their UFC debut. I think Breeden is UFC level. 
I just think he's the lower UFC level. I expect him to be an early card guy. I think this is the. I think this is actually the main card opener, uh, according to the UFC website. Oh, it, it, did they go with the six fight main card? Okay, yeah, cool. got it. Um, like it's hard enough, like to make your debut in the UFC, then add it on the main card, and then add against a guy like Alex Hernandez. So while Breeden has shown a lot, Alex Hernandez can truly crack. I mean, he, this guy knocked out Benil Dariush. I say he cracks in the, in this fight. I think Hernandez eventually finds the kill switch and give me Hernandez to knock him out. I'll say second round. Uh, yeah, you, you point out a lot of good things there. Honestly, I think uh, Lansing Darius in his debut is almost the worst thing that could have happened to him. It jacked expectations through the roof. It made it difficult for the UFC to Absolutely. match him up sensibly. And yeah. so, I mean... He should not have been fighting Donald Cerrone in his third fight in the octagon because he was just tailor made for for sure. Cerrone to style on. You especially that's like, Cerrone. Yeah, that, Cerrone's, like Cerrone's aged a lot recently. Especially mm-hmm. he's looked really terrible the last couple of fights, but that was but, still a pretty good Cerrone at that time. Oh yeah, like and that was a Cerrone where just running straight at him with punches was just like it was gonna get you chewed up, and it did get him chewed up. Uh, you pointed out that that he could crack. I've told this uh, story before about one of the other fighters, but you know, I went to a, a UFC, not fully open workout, kind of like a you know VIP open workout, uh, where they brought a bunch of Fortis guys down, and I got to see Uriah Hall and uh, Jeff Neal spar from like three feet away, and that was completely terrifying. Like I was flinching at the sound, but. Uh, Hernandez was there, was there too, and and he was uh, just hitting pads on, on safe. That dude can crack. He he is an explosive athlete. You know, like he, he's a rare athlete. Like in terms of like just physicality, his general build and and what he can do, he's kind of like a slightly taller like young Michael Chandler. Just he is a, he's a freakish uh, athlete. You know, not many. Not many fighters in the UFC come from a youth bodybuilding background, but he did. You know, you can see pictures of him out there, like in like the little speedo, like all oiled up and like chiseled. That that's him. My problem with Hernandez is he's actually becoming a scream at the TV fighter for me. Like most fighters start that way and maybe get out of that. Cerrone kind of made him into one because he. I mean, he he rode to the UFC as like just a killer at the like, you know, LFA level based on his aggression and athleticism and power. After he ran into Cerrone, he kind of seems to second guess himself if he comes out aggressive and the person doesn't go away right away. I was cage side for his fight with uh, Trinaldo back in 2019 in San Antonio. And one, it was it was a miserable decision. Oh, Trinaldo should have won that. But two, it's one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Just yeah. It, I mean, it looked like two people like playing Tekken, but like their controllers like needed to be recharged. So it's just two guys standing in front of each other like this, like, you know, <laughs> waiting for you to push a button. It's it's right up there with Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko 2. <laughs> where where yeah, you can argue that the wrong fight, person so. won, but it but it just yeah, it, it wasn't a great fight no matter what. It's like it's like all those people who won't shut up about Stephen Thompson beating Darren Till. Like maybe he deserved it, but that was also a terribly boring fight. Yeah. Like, I I feel bad saying this because he's still only, like, 28 years old. He still has all the potential in the world. He is at, uh, you know, uh, uh, a great camp. I think he's at Factory Act, actually, now. But I just, I don't have any faith in Hernandez to beat a, like, 
a certainly a, a top 20-ish UFC lightweight. Just he he runs out of ideas. He, his his fight IQ, his game planning has never really improved or adapted. If anything, it's gotten worse. But I don't think any of that's going to matter against Breeden because it, like the wheels only fall off if he can't come forward and land hard shots and knock the guy out pretty quickly. I think he's going to be able to do that to Breeden. Uh, you're you're higher on Breeden than me, and you've done more study on him than me. So if anything, you're probably I'm right. Shit. I'm not high on him, just for the record. I just picked to get knocked out. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Like, even if he does turn out to be UFC material, and after stepping up like this, obviously he's going to get get a chance to prove that on a full camp against a an appropriate matchup. But this is a bad matchup for a guy like him to debut against. Uh, I I think Hernandez is going to come forward and just bust him up, win this thing in the first round. Give me give me uh, Alexander Hernandez by first round uh, TKO to keep those alternating wins and losses coming. Yeah, it has has a lot more like Chris Grusmacher feel to it than a Donald Cerrone feel. Yes, I, I completely agree there. Next up, it is a Bantamweight matchup between Aspen Ladd and Macy Chasson. Ladd, the 26-year-old Californian, is 9-1 and one overall. She is 4-1 and one since joining the UFC as an undefeated prospect out of Invicta Fighting Championships. She fought most recently uh, back in December of 2019, knocking out Yana Kunitskaya in the uh, third round of their matchup at UFC on ESPN, Overeem versus Rosenstrike. That allowed her to bounce back from the first loss of her career, uh, a somewhat controversial flash knockout in 16 seconds by Jermaine Durandamy in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 155. She'll be taking on Chasson, the 30-year-old Louisiana native fighting out of Dallas, Texas, is 7-1 overall. She is 5-1 since joining the UFC out of the 28th season of The Ultimate Fighter. She's on a two-fight winning streak, uh, both unanimous decisions over Shanna Young back in February of 2020. And most re recently, Marion Renault, whom she beat at UFC on ESPN, Brunson versus Holland this March. Those allowed her to bounce back from her lone career loss, which was a unanimous decision against Lena Landsberg back in September of 2019. Ladd is the uh, moderate favorite here. She's minus 220. Chasson is plus 180 uh, as the underdog. I, I've got to get a little something off my chest here. Uh Aspen Ladd and Macy Chasson are, I, they're two good Bantamweights. I think they both have, I, I mean, without looking at the rankings, they might both be in the UFC top 10 right now. I don't know. But they certainly both have contender potential. Uh, they're both physically large and powerful Bantamweights who have visible visible difficulty making the Bantamweight limit. Like, Ladd has literally looked like she's going to pass out on the scale. Chasson looks incredibly, I mean, Chasson looked like she cuts to make 145. But, like, you know, uh, it looks, you know, like very hollowed out uh, weighing in at Bantamweight. And they're fighting each other this weekend, and one will win, one will lose. They'll continue on their way. At the end of their road is a shot at Amanda Nunes. Now, this, despite the fact that if either of these women expressed a willingness to fight at Featherweight, they could probably fight Nunes next weekend for a belt. They are taking the hard way. I, I don't understand exactly why. Like, if both of these roads end in the same basic destination, but one of them is five times longer than the other and full of potholes, and the other, like, I, I don't get it at all. But 
would you say would you say maybe the reason is that they know they're not ready for that like they're still young i think that's probably it yeah but i mean there's it ultimately like your best shot of beating him in it is is probably 145 like being fully hydrated like especially mm-hmm. macy chasson like there's no yeah. way you watch macy chasson fight and say she wouldn't be better at 145 no absolutely not uh no and i completely agree because you know what it's not the weight class. It, it is Amanda Nunes. Because if Nunes announced her retirement tomorrow, one or both of these women would be fighting like Felicia Spencer for the, the vacant title next. Yeah, probably. That's probably true. And yeah, if, if Amanda Nunes was at 145 and, uh, you know, she vacated the title and, and Joanna Pena was a champion at 135, then I'd say, yeah, it'd make a lot more sense to cut down to 135. Yeah. So... Not that I blame either of them. They're doing what they think is best for their their careers. But I'm I'm just pointing out the ridiculousness of like killing your kidneys to you know to keep fighting at, at this weight when hey you know you can fight for about whenever you want. Anyway, both of these women are are in a similar boat because they each have one loss. The loss in both cases is over two years ago, and in both cases, there's either just straight controversy. Like you know, Lad I think has at least a valid point that. Yeah, that fight should have been allowed to go on at least a little bit longer. And with Sasan, it, it almost feels like that happened to a different fighter. Like I, I think she beats Alina Landsberg today. Like I, I think her her gas tank and her fight IQ do not betray her like they did in that fight, and it was a close fight anyway. Uh but I think this is a, like I, I really like Macy Chasson as a prospect. But I think this—I don't think this is a great matchup for her. Like the 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 places where she's most dangerous just don't match up well with Lad. The the real question mark for me is how Lad looks after the weight cut. I mean, she is someone who, in her last three fights, I mean, she's had like the hoop or the towel. I think like twice or all three times has been like shaking and shivering and just looked miserable and you know come out and and functioned all right. But that's not something that typically gets better as you as you push towards 30. You know, and she hasn't fought in almost two years. Again, you know, if she's someone who needed to be in the gym all the time, even to stay within shouting distance of her target weight, that that's not a good sign. But I'm I'm going to kind of throw myself behind the idea of her like having been professional and done the professional thing, coming to the cage prepared. And if she does, I, I do think she takes a decision over Chasson. Yeah, you said um, you worried about the weight cut. Another thing you have to remember is is she's also returning from a terrible ACL tear. Um, and one thing to side note, like think about like the top athletes in the world and a basketball player or a football player or something like that. When they tear an ACL their first time back, like the basketball player plays 12 minutes of the game. That's the whole game. Or like, for example, Saquon Barkley, anybody who plays fans football knows like Saquon Barkley, his first couple of games was getting limited carries. That's not how it is in MMA. Like, oh, your first fight back. Yeah. Here you go. Go get another one of the top prospects in MMA and good luck. <laughs> you know, hope your hope your legs. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Aspen Lad, she's 26 years old. Uh, so I definitely and and we we broke down this fight before because it was it happened and then it got canceled. So I'm gonna say a lot very similar stuff than I said last time. Uh, and you have more confidence in her recovery at 26 than if she was at 36. 
Um, she's very physically strong. Um, she's starting to really reach her power ages. Uh, her striking on the feet is is very raw. She's a she's a little stiff. Her hand speeds need to improve. She doesn't really move her head, but she stays tight, which I like. Uh, you know, punches down the pipe. She gets to the clinch. She's she's got like this mean streak on her. She's very strong in clinch. Good clinch takedowns. Good top pressure. Insane ground upon it. And she just finds a way to finish the fight because. Um, I interviewed her way back in the day, and I asked her, I said, one thing about you, I have like this, you're, you seem extremely mad that someone is willing to go in the cage with you. And she has like a, she has a little like, I don't know, like insane chick, like, you know, put the, put the, put the bunny in the oven kind of streak in her, like, uh, uh, no, in the bat, what is it? What was the, what was the, in the pot? That was what it was in the pot, Bo- right? The bunny boiler. Yeah. 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 That's, I, yeah. There you go. I, I shouldn't try a pop culture reference because I'm not good. <laughs> uh, now, Shasan, <clears throat> as you mentioned, she's obviously huge for the weight class. How she makes it, no idea. We both in agreement. She should move up to one. Like she probably she looks like she could fit at 155 against Kayla Harrison. Uh, she got big reach, long arms and legs, good power. Um, she has she has a solid chin. Like she's been cracked and continues to move forward, which is impressive considering she has some pretty good defensive holes. Uh, she doesn't really move her head. Uh, and Fanny Shannon Young was teeing off on her in the in the first round of their fight, uh, and she's very hittable. She kind of reminds me. And I use this example a lot is 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 Tim Means, where she's taller, but she doesn't want to use her reach. She actually wants to use her her length inside where she can get to a clinch and and, and where she's strong in the clinch. Uh dirty boxing, elbows in close, her knees up the middle are brutal, definitely her, her best part of her game. Uh she likes to use her size to kind of just drape over her opponent and force them to carry their weight. But she has weak takedown defense. Uh she was taken down by Marino, but to her to her Defense, she worked back up to her feet, which we we haven't seen in the past. She did gas against Lena Landsberg, uh, though I think I, I think I'm with you. I actually think that might be one of those ones like years from now, you're like, wow, she lost to Lena Landsberg. So as far as prediction goes, Shasun has the size advantage, but I think that's about it. Uh I see I see Shasan struggling with like gritty type fighters. Like Mary Renault had success from just grinding against her. Lena Landsberg obviously beat her. Uh and that's I think what's gonna happen here. And though Aspen Ladd is a lot better at that game than those two girls are. So as long as Ladd is the same fighter she was before ACL, I think she got this for sure. I think she gets some takedowns, uh, puts Shasan in some bad positions. Beats her up in those bad positions, and I actually see a pin her against like the cage and ground and pounding her, and like brutal like screaming. You know, she's hitting her and screaming as she's doing it. Crazy give me eyes. Lad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, give me lad by second round TKO, ground and pound. Yeah, like that was just my thought. Uh, Shasone will be bigger, but kind of the same way that yeah, Megan Anderson is bigger than Felicia Spencer, but it's not going to stop Spencer from taking her down. If anything is going to make it easier, that that's the, that that was the same thought I had. Yeah. That's just funny. Cause I built like they both these girls are built that way. Mm-hmm. Next up on the UFC fight night, one ninety three main card. We have a matchup that as I did my research had me immediately asking two questions really loudly at my computer. Question number one, how is Misha Serkinov going to make middleweights? Question number two, how is this Christoph Yatko's 15th fight in the UFC? I felt like he must have like five or six. It's his 15th fight in the UFC. Anyway, 
As I just said, it is Misha Serkinov versus Kristof Yatko. Serkinov, the 34-year-old Latvian by way of Canada, by way of Las Vegas, is 15-6 and six overall. He is 6-4 and four in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently back in March at UFC Fight Night, Edwards versus Muhammad, where he was knocked out in the first round by Ryan Spann. Uh, he will be facing Yatko, the 32-year-old from Poland, is... 22 and five overall. He is nine and five in the UFC. Uh, he lost back in May via unanimous decision to uh, Sean Strickland back at UFC on ESPN Reyes versus Prohaska. That snapped a three fight winning streak for him, which in turn snapped a three fight losing streak, which in turn snapped a five fight uh, winning streak for him. Just my way of saying, Yako is an extremely streaky fighter. Uh, Odds favor uh, Yatko to break this streak right away, though, as he is a slight favorite. He's minus 150, Serkinov plus 130 in his 185-pound debut. Uh, Keith, I, I'm sure you will come with like better X's and O's and analysis than this, but if there's one thing I know about Misha Serkinov, well... The the first thing I know about him is that like he's a strong, physically imposing uh, light heavyweight. He's never the tallest guy, and he often doesn't look like the heaviest guy, but he's just built like a tank, and he comes from that judo background that just makes you know he has just the kind of core, like gritty core strength, you know, that will make him win clinch exchanges even against guys that look bigger than him. But the other thing I know about him is that he is a terribly, like, he's a slow starter, but he's like I've I've used this uh, analogy before. He's not the John Jones slow starter where he's just taking his time and kind of getting the read. He's the Donald Cerrone slow starter where he's vulnerable in the first round. Like all of his UFC losses are first round knockouts. And most of them just it looked like he hadn't warmed up, you know, uh, backstage. Like he's just coming out, getting loose. And the other guy's just lancing him like with punches to the face like it, uh, the Span fight, Johnny Walker fight, Vulcan Uzdemir. Obviously, Vulcan knocked him out in like 20 seconds or, or, or something. And he has the offense. Like, he has like three or four first round wins in the UFC as well. But it's just danger zone for, for him. Like, it almost it almost would have been better for him if he did the John Jones thing and just like stayed ultra tentative in the first round. You know, yeah. like, yeah. even like if you could just guarantee Misha Serkinov, okay, you're going to lose the first round of every fight you have in the UFC, but you won't get knocked out. If I'm jerking off, I'd probably take that. <laughs> Instead, I, he's decided yeah. this experiment is over and he's dropping to 185. And I don't think that's going to fix the problems. Like, it's... I mean, it's the opposite of the Luke Rockhold move. Like, yeah. his problem is that he's a, a slow starter and he's just vulnerable to getting rung up. There's a certain stiffness yeah. to his striking that just it doesn't seem to roll with punches very well and just everything hits him really hard. Yeah. And Yatko is a flawed fighter, but he's a decent-sized middleweight, and he hits hard. Like, the the only thing that gives me, like, a lot of hope for Serkinov here is that Yatko isn't a super aggressive uh, guy out of the gate, necessarily. Like, he's sure. more of, of a measured dude. But I, I'm, I, I just can't have any faith in Serkinov until I see him at 185. And mm -hmm. I said that about Roman Deleeds, and I would ended up being wrong like the was a giant jacked uh light heavyweight in his, yeah in his, in his yeah 
And he was a huge jacked light heavyweight in his mid-30s. And I was like, I'm not going to pick that dude until I've seen his gas tank and his chin. And, hey, he's ended up being fine. It's it's a Georgia thing. Like, Georgia is just too powerful to be. Uh, I don't know if I can say the same thing about Latvia. So I'm I'm going to go with Yatko by decision because winning decisions is generally what Yatko does. And I just, yeah, like, I don't know how this fight is going to look, but I expect Yatko to hurt Serkinov a couple times. And I just want to see what Serkinov looks like in the third round if we even get there. But give me Yako by decision. Yeah, this is a weird fight. <laughs> like, uh, Serkinov, yeah, he's southpaw. You mentioned he's a pretty one-dimensional fighter. His striking is pretty ugly. Uh, hands are slow. Uh, I don't know what else there really is to say about his, his striking. He is so physically strong, which is surprising why he's going down to 25. Because I never said, when he lost the fight, I never said, well... Serkinov was so much smaller than that guy, or Serkinov was strong enough to deal with a guy like that. Like that's not the case with Serkinov at all. Like, if 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 we lined up all the light heavyweights on bench press, like I would pick Serkinov to be one of the top guys in that in the competition, you know, or squats or whatever, whatever you want to rank uh, strength. Like Serkinov would be up there <laughs> at, at light heavyweight. Now you mentioned he's judo black belt, good trips. Uh, he's hard to take down. He's good at winning scrambles. Uh, he's good at timing his own entries, and he's a serious, serious submission threat. He's got eight s- subs. Uh, he's got five subs in his. Yeah, he's got a sub in his last five fights. But I'm worried about his chin. I mean, he's been cracked in his last fight. Moving down to 185, as you mentioned, he he's already jacked up with muscles. Like I, I don't think that he's going to drain him anymore and take, you know, less water around his chin. As far as Jakov. Pretty good athlete, south also a southpaw, good speed, good straight punches down the pipe. I love his check uh, right hook that he uses to keep distance. Uh, he he does lack power, but he uses good movement to keep his distance. Um, he doesn't like pressure, but he likes, but he he uses like I said, he uses movement to get, uh, you know, to point outside point fight a guy. Uh, but if you pressure him, he can back off the fence. But he's actually comfortable because he's a. Yako either wants to be all the way out or the way in because he'll get in, um, get in the clinch. He loves to just close in close grappling, uh, loves to lean on you, grind on you in the clinch. He did to Eric Anders. He did to David Branch. Um, I'm impressed with his balance and his like hip control in there. He's good at winning scrambles. Um, he has been rocked in the past, so that's concerning. But Serkinov's not the guy that's going to crack him on the, on the feet unless somehow moving down the middle way he becomes like K1 Serkinov. As far as prediction goes. Like, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. Like, K, K, I'm pick, trying to picture K1 Serkinov. Yeah, I'm dead. I mean, who knows? 185. Uh, prediction. There's a really good chance Serkinov takes down Yako and just subs him like he does so many people. However, as you mentioned, like you, you're saying that he's a slow starter in the sense that like first rounds are bad for him. And as the fight progresses, it it helps him. I don't know if it does after he cuts all that weight. So like the thing that used to be a positive might become a negative now. So he might be a slow starter and gas. Uh every minute that goes by, I actually think it's gonna favor Yakov. So I think Yakov you know, maybe like there might be this like mid between minute three and seven. He's going to be dangerous, but after that, or or something, it's going to favor Yarkov. I think Yarkov stuffs enough takedowns, uses his movement, uh, and I think he just picks him apart from range and, and wins a. I, I want to say a late stoppage, but I'm going to say he wins a decision. So give me Yarkov by decision. 
and I think I remember this from when we did the Yatko versus Strickland preview, but he like Yatko came into that fight on a three straight decision wins over Amadovsky, Barrio, and Anders. And I want to say he won the third round in all three of those fights. Okay. Like, yeah. like right. his gas tank like carried him basically to that winning streak. That's not a good look for Serkinov. Yeah. Third from the top at UFC Vegas 38. It is a welterweight matchup between Alex Cowboy Oliveira and Nico the Hybrid Price. Oliveira, the 33-year-old Brazilian, is 22 and 10 with one draw and two no contests uh, in his mixed martial arts career. He's 11 and 8 with one no contest in the UFC. He is currently on a two-fight uh, losing streak. Though those are both against uh, solid fighters in super prospect Shavkat Rachmanov, who ran him over last uh, October on the way to a first round submission win. And then a fringe contender in Randy Brown, who also choked him out in the first round back at UFC 261 this April. He'll be taking on Price. The 32-year-old Floridian is 14-5 and five with two no contests. He's 6-5 and five with two no contests in the UFC. And he is currently on a three-fight. I don't even know what to call it. In his last three fights, he's lost two of them and had one draw, which was reverted to a no contest. So he's on a three-fight winless streak. Uh, most recently dropped a unanimous decision to Michelle Pereira uh, back in July at UFC 264. This is the Poor Life Choices Derby. We have the man who was blown up with a grenade by a family member on New Year's Eve oh. uh, 2018 and has eight kids by eight different women, several of whom live on the same street. I guess <laughs> I, I guess UFC pay scale goes a lot further if you're in Brazil, but that is Alex Cowboy Oliveira. <laughs> to, to be Alex Cowboy Oliveira for like one day, just to see how his life is. It sounds exhausting. <laughs> like... So I got barely I, enough energy to keep one woman it, happy. This, this just feels like we should have a special guest referee, like have John Jones referee it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he's going against Price. Price. And they, both have, and they both have tons of kids. Like Nico Price has a bunch of kids too, and he's having another one. And you know what Nico Price also has a lot of? No contest for weed. He is the only active fighter in the UFC, unless Nick Diaz is still active, with multiple uh, fights being overturned. For weed, and we will probably never see it again since Nevada has uh, decriminal or deregulated it, and other regular or other regulatory John bodies Jones, will follow. Yeah, John Jones never had a fight turned over for weed, but don't give him a challenge. Like, yeah, you know, don't, 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 don't plant any <laughs> yeah. ideas. Yeah. Uh, hey, if you had as many kids as Nico Price, you might want to smoke some weed too. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I might want to smoke some crack if I had as many as Alex Oliveira. I, I heard when I first read the story that he's got eight kids by eight different women. Now, now that's confirmed. He, he has said that. I heard that two of the kids have the same birthday, as in same day, same year. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like a, like a sitcom movie that he's running back and forth between rooms. Yes. <laughs> Switching like clothes. Some, or some, some Mrs. One. Doubtfire shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously, this is two crazy guys. And the UFC has slapped this together and put it on the main card because they're expecting a crazy fight. Like, neither of these guys is really in the ladder of contention. Oliveira is what he is at this point. He is an... Don't you just love... Sorry to interrupt you again, but I just love that they fight the way their life is. <laughs> like, hectic and crazy. Yeah, it's it, it absolutely Sorry. is. No, like they're and, not born. It's not like, it's not like you no, said, like, some born... Never a dull moment. 
even though they're like crazy outside the cage and it's like snoozer, like something insane is going to happen in this fight. Yep. And the, the UFC is banking on it. I mean, it's why they made Price fight Michelle Pereira. It's why, you know, it's why they made Oliveira fight Randy Brown because they're taking guys known for crazy shit happening in their fights and trying to, you know, ram them together like junker cars at a demolition derby. Uh, I have the feeling this is going to deliver. Uh, Oliveira at this point, he is what he is. Uh, you know, he's he's 33 years old, and I'm shocked every time he fights at how young he is. I always, even though he fights, you know, two, three, four times a year, and I should get used to it, every single time I think he should be about five years older than he really is. Part of it is that he's been in the UFC so long and had so many kind of memorable fights. Part of it is that his face tells the story of how his UFC career has gone. Like, he gets lumped up or cut up in almost every fight. Like, the the Brown and Rachmanov fights were almost uh, probably a relief because he just got promptly choked out without, you know, looking like he'd been run over by a truck. But, I, you know, I, I flash back to the Nicholas Dalby fight where, it, I mean, it basically ended because he was so bloody. Or, no, sorry, the Gunnar Nelson fight. The, Nelson. I was... Where, where, like, it was a wild fight, and then Nelson cut him so bad that, like, blood was running into his eyes and mouth, and uh, he, I think he just gave up the choke because he was disgusted and wanted to get out of there. Um, Nico Price, I'm not quite ready to pronounce that Nico Price is what he is. Because, you know, he got into that kind of round-robin demolition derby with Vicente Luque and Randy Brown and, and those guys, and... It, He's a guy with a ton of offensive tools who is often so aggressive that he finds way to lose to guys that he should win. But I think that's like actually a, a, still a fixable thing in him. Uh, kind of like I'm always surprised that Oliveira is only 33. I'm always surprised that Price is already 32 because he just has something of like the, the raw 29 year old uh, about him. And maybe that's and why like the personality of a 13 year old. So that, that helps too. He, he's, he's, a, he's an odd duck. Um, he's, a he's a big, long rangey guy. I'm also always surprised that he's not taller than he is. Like he's listed at like six feet even, and he just feels like a Tim means or uh Neil Magny type, like six foot three featherweight. He just fights rangey. He's got long limbs, uh, and he fights like a taller fighter. Um, but I, I have him over Oliver here. I think Oliver is on his way down. He's, he's a bit more of a spent force where Price is still prime Nico Price for whatever that's worth. And now that he won't be, you know, disqualified for weed, there's really nothing standing in his way. So uh, give me Nico Price. I would say Price by decision, but give me Price by some kind of like blood-soaked exotic technique that we've never seen before and we'll never see again. Like the Randy Brown thing where he hammer-fisted him while trapping his head on his shin or, or something like that. But yeah, third round stoppage win for Nico Price. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I love this fight. I just love it. Um, I want to know if Nico Price and Alex Oliveira, did their, any of their kids share a birthday? That's what I want to know. <laughs> um, if this was really uh, a sitcom or a comedy movie, we'd realize that there's a kid out there that each of them thinks is like his kid. Oh, yeah, they fight over the kid. That's oh, that. <laughs> Nico Price is like, that one time I was in Brazil. Uh has Nico Price fought Mike Perry yet? Did that happen? I forget. Um, no. Because we got to get Mike Perry. So, like, somehow Mike Perry's got to be in, in this fight, too. I'm surprised they didn't fight locally in Florida. Like, at yeah. some point. 
Yeah, we we gotta get Mike. I mean, I know Nico Price is. I, I mean, maybe he's not, but he seems like he's way ahead of Mike Perry at this point. But just, just the two Florida men going at it. Uh, <laughs> I once I once interviewed Nico Price. I was like the first person when he made his UFC debut that like interviewed him when he, the news broke. And I interviewed him at like seven a.m. It was it was crazy. <laughs> uh, anyways, back to back to this fight. Uh, Nico Price is a good athlete. <laughs> like, say what you want. Like you said, yeah, he, uh, he is a long, lengthy. He's got those weird, long arms. He, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna keep saying this, and I've said this the last couple of fights, but it, I think it holds true. Like he loves a brawl. He's a wild man. He's pure chaos. Presses the action. Willing to eat a punch, to land a punch. All the stuff you say about guys you want. But then recently, he's kind of shown a willingness to kind of slow down, stay composed, and, and be competitive, and 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 shows a pretty decent kickboxing, technical kickboxing game. As you said, he's a long and rangy fighter. Nice jab. He's got big, big power to to match his technique. Uh, he doesn't like being pressured. He, he didn't like the pressure of Vincente Luque and, and Jeff Neal, but I don't know. I've been on planet Earth who likes to get pressured by those two killers. But if you if he gets in the clinch. He's strong elbow, strong knees, uses his height well to get good angles. He's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, you go back to his last fight, Michelle Payer was able to take him down three times in the last fight, and Michelle Payer is not really known for his grappling. Uh, but he's a good submission uh, game. He's got, he's got underrated grap- offensive grappling himself. He's willing to scramble. Uh, and he's the one negative thing is he's willing to scramble and, and lose bad positions. Now move over to Alex Oliveira. Well, pretty aggressive on the feet. He's also a very good athlete. He's elusive. He hits hard. He has a very unorthodox striking style where punches get thrown from weird angles, but he also has long arms and stuff. Uh, he kind of loops his shots. Uh, he's got a long jab, teep kicks, body kicks, calf kicks, a lot of kicks up the middle, flying knees, loves his spinning attacks, willing to do like a spinning – Back fist, missed it, and then just stop and just throw it down in the pocket. Step in knees, in close, step in elbows. He's very physically imposing, physically strong. He's hard to take down. He's got good takedown himself. He's a very underrated grappler himself. Good ground and pound. But cardio has kind of been an issue in the past. He's gassed out. And and you mentioned it in the break in the preview. He's looked terrible his last two fights. He was absolutely ran through and submitted. Uh, in his last two fights. So as far, as far as prediction goes, I kind of wish these two guys fought like two years ago because Oliver might be a shot fighter. Like, yeah, he was submitted in his last two fights. It just seems like we've seen better days for him. It would have been bonkers years ago. It's probably still going to be bonkers. Uh, Oliver has been submitted in his last two fights and Nico Price is an underrated grappler and it wouldn't shock me if he found a submission. Some submission, like you said, that we never saw before because it's a Alex Oliveira versus Nico Price. But we haven't seen it, but I think Alex Oliveira's chin is going to fade and it's going to fail him. And it's just a hunch. Like, I usually don't go by hunches. I usually, like, try to find something in film. I'm going to say Price catches him with a big shot. Now, you say it's going to be something we've never seen before. So let's say, uh, I don't know, Nico Price goes for a double Donkey Kong over the hand <laughs> smash as he's flying flying Donkey Kong smash, but actually he misses it and they hit heads and he knocks out Alex Oliveira with a headbutt, which the referee doesn't see, he thinks it's the donkey smash. So he gives Nico Price the win, but a month later it gets overturned to a no contest. 
But then Nico Price tests positive for weed, even though it's not tested anymore. And it, but they still give him a no contest. And it's the first ever double no contest where they give two no contests for one fight because it's Nico Price versus Alex Oliver or something crazy like that's going to happen. There you go. So what round are you picking that, that finish to happen? Then? Let's say first round. All right. There you have it. Uh, t- two well-reasoned, uh, you know, and, and research picks from, from your favorite panelists on, on the uh, Nico Price versus Alex Oliveira. Right, right now, as, as I'm describing a double Donkey Kong punch that turns into a two-do context, somebody's about, an, I don't know, what, about an hour and a half into the breakdown. There's somebody watching this right now going, why the hell do I watch these guys? <laughs> if you're that person, I don't know why either. I, but just, I, please God, this isn't anybody's like the first like breakdown of ours they watched. It's like, oh, that's the fight I wanted. Like, what do these guys have to say? And, and they think all of our breakdowns or, are like or this. Maybe, maybe this is actually what they want. Hey, maybe this is the direction you want. Like, just let us know, guys. Like, light us up in the comments. Just nine months ago, as the year 2021 dawned, uh, Kevin Holland was fresh off of being selected Sure Dogs Breakthrough Fighter of the Year for 2020, uh, having launched himself to stardom and into the middleweight's uh, top 10 on the back of a five-fight campaign during the year of COVID. Uh, meanwhile, at that same time, Kyle Dawkins was one of the more quietly intriguing prospects in the middleweight division. A Dana White's Contender Series winner and former Cage Fury Fighting Championships uh, middleweight belt holder who had come to the UFC and whose only loss was in a wild competitive fight against uh, even more heralded prospect Brandon Allen. What a difference nine months make. Uh, Holland now coming into this fight off of back-to-back losses that while they were both the top five middleweights in Derek Brunson and Marvin Vittori have somewhat disturbingly followed the same pattern and not just laid bare his flaws as a fighter, but almost laid a blueprint for how to beat him if you can do it. Uh, on the flip side, uh, Kyle Dawkins can... really not even claim anymore to be the top UFC fighter from his own family as another loss to a hot middleweight prospect in Phil Hawes, a dominant loss uh, combined with his brother, Chris's uh, unlikely four fight win streak have uh, saddled him, Kyle now firmly with the title of the other Dawkins brother. And it's with that kind of baggage and those kind of expectations that these two come into the, into this fight. Uh, the co-main event of UFC Vegas 38 features Kevin Holland versus Kyle Dawkins. Uh, Holland, the 28-year-old uh, Texan, is 21 and seven overall. He's eight and four in the UFC since joining out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he is on that aforementioned losing streak to Brunson and Vittori. Uh, that snapped a five-fight winning streak for him, which uh, included Anthony Hernandez, Joaquin Buckley. Darren Stewart, uh, late replacements, Charlie Ontiveros, and uh, in his last fight of 2020, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, uh, whom he knocked out in the first round with hammer fists from the seat of his pants in what was really his star-making moment and the thing that clinched him as the breakthrough fighter of 2020. Uh, he'll be taking on Dawkins. Dawkins, also 28 years old, out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is 10-2 and two overall. He's one and two since joining uh, the UFC out of uh, CFFC. Uh, As I mentioned before, he did win on season three of Dana White's Contender Series, but was not immediately signed, uh, but went back, won a couple more fights uh, on the East Coast, including that title, and then uh, joined the UFC. He has lost to Allen and to Hawes. Again, 
uh, two of the brighter prospects in his division, those sandwiching a unanimous decision win over Dustin Stoltzfus. Uh, Holland is the slight favorite to regain some of his shine in this fight. He is currently minus 150, where Dawkins is plus 130. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this fight? You know what? This is a really intriguing matchup. Like it, Kevin Holland obviously is taking a step down in competition, especially in, in name value too. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he's 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 in a co-made event, so he's still you know it's a marquee matchup. But you know, not many people, you know, other than the most hardcore, you know, obviously people who watch this show, you're I assume you're a hardcore knows who Kyle Dawkins is. But you know, going from a main event back to back main events with uh, Brunson and Vittori to Kyle Dawkins is but. It's the right move. Like, it, this is the level of fighter he should be fighting right now because he's shown in back-to-back fights that he is not at that level. Um, Holland, he's a long and lengthy fighter. I mean, he's, he's all arms and legs. He's, he's elusive. He's got good movement. He throws wild punches from his hips. He's got nice snap on those strikes, though, and he's decent accuracy. Um, he's developing power. He does he does really well all the way in or all the way out on the feet, not in the ground, but all the way like like he does well in the clinch. What I mean by that, uh, he kind of tends to lull his opponent to, to sleep and then suddenly explodes with a big combination. He cover. I said this last time. I want to say it again. He covers ground really quickly due to his long lengths. Like he can be way back out in one step and he's halfway across the cage throwing. Uh, and then he and then he'll throw like a long strike. So he'll be way out, then take one step and then he's following it with a big kick so not only is he making a big step but he's also extending his leg out so he, he's really good at covering that distance uh, i like his push kicks at range he, defensively he rolls with punches pretty well and he's got 12 25 he's got 25 professional fights so when he's been cracked he doesn't panic on the feet like that's due to his experience something else i said last time uh he likes grabbing the clinch uh he likes boxing up the ears slapping the ears in close Nice knees in the clinch. Will actually, even though he's a terrible defense wrestler, he will look for a takedown himself. Though he, I wouldn't say he's a wrestling threat. And you mentioned it. The blueprint is out. Derek Brunson, Marvin Vittori both expose how bad his defensive wrestling. He is a submission threat. And he's got long arm and legs. But those guys showed that the key of being him is just keep his shoulders pinned, both shoulders pinned against the mat. And he has no get-up game from the bottom which is really aggravating when you see a fight. Like, you say you yell at the TV fighters. I don't know if he's on that list for me, but he was the last two fights, especially the second fight against Vittori, where it was like, wow, like, the same thing just happened to you. You took another fight and didn't improve that era at all. Like, you took another fight really quickly and d- didn't improve. Now, move to Dacus. So, Dacus is one and two in the UFC. But to his credit, the two guys he lost to, like, this is a really good competition to start UFC. Uh, Brandon Allen and Phil uh, Hawes are two of the best prospects in MMA. Like, especially the Brandon Allen fight. I, I mean, actually, I, Phil Hawes too. But the Brandon Allen fight has really aged well. Like, the loss. I mean, like, yeah. Brandon Allen showed he's – Brandon Allen's really freaking good. Uh, as far as Doc is, he's a southpaw. He's pretty technically sound striker. Like, I like his striker. Like, I, I, I saw someone call him a grappler, and – I agree that he's a good grappler, but he's I say he's well rounded. He's composed and very relaxed in his striking. Uh, he keep he also keeps his hands a little low, kind of like Kevin Holland does. But he moves forward, stalks his prey. He's got a fast jab. He's got a very accurate straight left. He kind of just touches and doesn't really fire out power shots until the power shot 
is there, and then he loads some power. I would say he generates plus power. He's not like a big knock you out, but he's he's deceiving because when you look at him, he he's not a physically imposing looking guy. He's he's not Phil Hawes. He's he's not Brendan Allen. He's another guy you could see big muscles. He's kind of he's got like a kind of a weird physique, but because the way he sits on his punches and how technically sound it, he's got pretty decent stinging power. Nice long kicks. Uh, I like that he blasts the body from unorthodox fighters from that uh, in from the southpaw stance. It's something that he was doing to uh, against Phil Hawes, and it, he's a good grappler. He's, he's submission threat. He's got eight submission wins. Um, he likes guillotines and dart shows. He likes attack uh, the neck and scrambles. Uh, the one thing I don't like is he'll lose position to chase a submission, and his getup game also sucks. If he's pinned on bottom, like we saw that. In the Brandon Allen fight, he struggles to get back up. Now, Brandon Allen's a big middleweight. Like, even though Holland is long and lengthy, Brandon Allen is built physically different. And also, um, Doc has got cracked in the in, in past fights. I mean, Phil Hall's cracked him a bunch. But to his credit, he stuck around and actually made the in both fights, he made it pretty competitive. This is this is a much tougher fight to pick than I think people realize. I really want to pick Dawkins. Like, I want to pick him. Um, but Holland is the better athlete. He's the better striker. I, I think he. I think he's the better striker. Uh, he's faced the better competition. However, I'm really worried about his defensive wrestling. I don't think Dawkins is the power wrestler that Vittoria Brunson is. He is also not as physically big, but like, those are two of the bigger middleweights and stronger. I mean, Vittoria's like, he's a freaking bull. And, and, and Derek Brunson, too, both of the guys. Mm-hmm. Um I, I'm really st- stuck. Like I don't know. I, I'm taking. You know what? Screw it. I haven't. Been, last week I didn't take a single upset, and that really bothered me. Uh, I have an upset in this fight. I have an upset in this card, so I don't have to. I could call another fight my upset special. But you know what? I'm gonna pull it out now. Give me Dawkins. His brother's red hot. I'm gonna say it goes out to to him too. This is my new upset special tonight. Give me uh. I do know Kyle Dawkins. I'm calling Chris Dawkins. Give me Kyle Dawkins. Give me uh, – I'm going to say he does it again. I'm going to say rinse and repeat of what Victorian Brunson does. I say he's smart. He'd say he gets some takedowns on Holland. He wins a really close fight. Uh, give me Dawkins by decision. Man, I I love that you that you stepped out on, on the branch there and took it because I have wanted to pick Dawkins all week. Uh, you know, like I said, the, the Brunson and Vittori fights showed – the blueprint to beating Kevin Holland, if you can follow it. But, you know, as you pointed out, even if Dawkins is able to get Holland down, like he's not a heavy, like lockdown guy, like, uh, uh, Vittori and Brunson both were, you know, if, if Dawkins does kind of commit to the takedown early and often, I think this thing's going to turn into like a really fun kind of scramble heavy, like wrestling grappling match. And it's anybody's fight at that point. Uh, and that, that still probably is Dawkins's best route to victory. Cause if he just stays at range and lets Holland dance around and, and, you know, cut him up from angles, he's just going to lose a pretty straightforward decision, but beating Holland that way is, I think it's, I think it's going to prove harder than those two made it look. You pointed out that Vittori and Brunson are two of the physically stronger guys. And like, I mean, Vittori obviously has got muscles on his muscles. And then Brunson, Brunson just looks like a light heavyweight. You know, just straight up. He, he looks he looks like a light heavyweight when he walks out there. There 
aren't many people, I, even in the division, that I think are going to have as easy a time doing that to to Holland. Like even when Holland lost to uh, Brendan Allen, like his first UFC loss was was Brendan Allen as well, way back when. Like he stayed on the feet the whole first round, beat up Allen, and he got finished in the second round. But it was Holland who shot for a takedown, and then you know like. Allen just kind of used the front headlock to sweep, and then it, he was a much better grappler, bigger, stronger guy, and, and it, it was all over. But it wasn't like Allen is the one that just came out, shot a takedown, and just bulldozed him. Uh, I'm I'm not going to say that like it's all over for Holland until I see a non-top five guy do that to him. And while I can totally see Dawkins winning uh, this fight, if he does, I don't think that's the way it's going to happen. So... Uh, I'm going to go with the slight favorite here in in Kevin Holland, but I think this is going to be a really fun fight. And, you know, both these guys definitely need to get some of that uh, shine back. I'm saying it's going to be Holland, but I think it's going to be a real fun fight either way. We come to the main event of UFC Fight Night 193. It is a light heavyweight matchup between Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker. Santos, the 37-year-old uh, from Rio de Janeiro, is 21-9 and overall. He is 13-8 and in the UFC. Uh, most relevantly, he is 3-3 three and three since moving up to light heavyweight. Uh, he won his first three right out of the gates over Eric Anders, Jimmy Manoa, and Yump. Actually, wait a sec. Was the Anders fight at light heavyweight or middleweight? I better check that before. Um, is he only Anders two... I think the Anders was at. No, it's 205. Okay. Okay. Like, I'll just restart that sentence and I can splice it together. <laughs> That's good because I, I was just yawning and I looked terrible. We started the main event and I'm like yawning. <laughs> Sorry. Santos, uh, more relevantly, is three and three since making the choice to move up from middleweight to light heavyweight. He won his first three uh, over Eric Anders, Jimmy Manoa, and Jan Bohovic all by KO or TKO, uh, stamping his passport to a shot at the title held by John Jones. He lost via split decision at UFC 239, an extremely close fight that uh, some observers even believe Santos won. But nonetheless, uh, knee injuries suffered in that fight have uh, portended kind of a slide uh, for the Brazilian. He has since then lost to Glover Teixeira, and in his most recent appearance back in March, dropped a unanimous decision to Alexander Rakic at UFC 259. He will carry that three-fight slide into the cage against the uh, wild and crazy man, Johnny Walker, 29-year-old Brazilian, is 18-5 and five overall. He is 4-2 and two since joining the UFC out of the first series, uh, the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. He won his first three over uh, Khalil Roundtree, Justin Ledette, and Misha Serkinov, then dropped two in a row to Corey Anderson and Nikita Krylov, and uh, bounced back last September with a first-round TKO of Ryan Spann at UFC Fight Night Covington versus Woodley. Santos is the slight favorite here. He is minus 170 while Walker is plus 150 as the as the minor underdog. Uh, Keith, you said off the top when we were talking about this card that it doesn't have a whole lot of divisional-like relevance, like at least not immediate uh, divisional relevance. I think it could be like sneaky, like it could be more significant in, in a sneaky way than than we think. Like, 
if if Santos wins, I mean, obviously he's just putting the brakes on a three fight losing streak, yeah. but a guy with kind of his name and reputation and highlight reel, sure. how close he is, is really just dependent on who the current champ is. You know, if it's yeah. somebody he hasn't fought already, all, he's all of a sudden a lot closer. Whereas Johnny Walker, obviously, like the UFC would love this guy to string together enough wins in a row to be able to put him into a title shot. Uh, who do you think gets it done here? And do you think either of these guys has even a shot or, in the case of Santos, another shot at a UFC title in his future? Yeah, and when it comes to title shots, the, your record in your current winning streak doesn't have as much weight as as I thought it would be. I mean, as Corey Sanhagen is coming off a loss and he's he's going for a title and Rob Font has been winning and not, you know. Uh, uh, to, as far as this fight... Man, Tiago Santos, to me, this fight really comes down to what is Tiago Santos. Like, the pressure to me is really on him because I feel like I feel like we've learned what Johnny Walker is. Like, he's going to be fun. He's going to be exciting. He's going to start some guys, but he's also going to get starts himself or, or make a huge mistake. Tiago Santos still seems like a guy that could carry the UFC title one day. I mean, he's got a win over the current champion. And it's, you know, somewhat recently ago. Like, not... Brand new, but, you know, somewhat recently ago. But he's on a three-fight losing streak. Yeah, one was to John Jones. That A lot of people thought he won, and it was a fight that he blew out. But Alexander Rakish and Glover Teixeira losing those two fights, like, you're behind in the line. If he loses Johnny Walker, it's it's done. It's 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 pull pull, a, pull, pull the plug on him, he's all done. No, you know, put a fork in him, whatever. I was trying to mix, I was mixing both those, those two together. Uh you know, so it really comes down to what we have left of him. And to be honest, I don't know, like, I, the, which makes this very intriguing to me. Because if Johnny Walker, you know, beats him, he's done. But if he starches Johnny Walker in the first minute, then it's everything's good again. And, and Thiago Santos, like, we're feeling great about him. They all, the explosive, I mean, he looks like the meanest guy in the division. Um, so I mean he's explosive. Yeah, Santos. I'm talking about Santos. He, obviously he hits hard. Uh, switches stances. He can fight from both stances. He's got power in both of his hands. And this is the good. This is good. Diego Santos. I'm talking about like, you know, his his straight left when he's in the southpaw stance is deadly, um, which is surprising because he isn't the most technically sound guy. He throws a lot from his hips. Um, he he was having success with his his kicks, his calf kicks against John Jones. Uh, but his takedown defense is really bad. We saw that in the Glover to share fight where um, one that was an era that seemed like he kind of fixed or he or at least masked it over. And then Glover to share being as crafty as he is, was able to take him down with ease. But I'm not sure if his takedown defense is really bad or is just what we continue to say about Glover to share. Like Glover to share ground game is absolutely fantastic. It, it, Glover to share it's a side note for a second. Has that Valentina Shevchenko thing going for? And, and what I mean by that is they're known for their striking, and they're actually better on the ground. And that's what Glover this year is so good. Completely He's agreed. So like his top position game in particular is one of the most underrated skill sets in all of MMA. Yeah. If he, if, yeah. Well, we're not gonna get the predictions against him for Shevchenko, but if he turns into a heavy grappling match, that's a really good strategy for Glover this year. Anyways, Tiago uh, Santos is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Though he really shouldn't be. He's he's not. It's one of those uh, Nagara brothers belts, I guess, as as Chael Sonnen would say or something. It, it's not as a you know he's a 
you know, they say they say there's like the toy world, in the box of Cracker Jack is what he called him. Yeah. 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 You know, they say this guy's like this guy's a world class black belt, like whatever the opposite of that is for like the lowest level black belt. That's what Tiago Santos is. Um, we've seen him smoked on the ground. Uh, I wrote he got smoked on the ground, but Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira beat him on the ground so bad I wrote it down twice for some reason. Um, now, Johnny Walker, uh, he's so explosive. I mean, I said that was the lead to both guys is how explosive they are. He's physically strong. He's a, I mean, we talk about how wild Nico Price and Alex Oliveira can be. Like, that's Johnny Walker drinking Johnny Walker. Like, those guys drinking Johnny Walker might be equal to actual Johnny Walker. Uh, he, he, he's, a, he's a wild man. Uh, spinning attacks, flying knees, and this is, this is light heavyweight doing this against doing it, you know, trying to fly a flying knee on a, another light heavyweight. Uh, obviously, he hits very hard, but his chin has been cracked and it's been cracked recently. I mean, Ryan Spann, all in his last fight, Ryan Spann hurt him bad, almost knocked him out. Go back to the Corey Anderson fight, Corey Anderson knocked him out. Um, he he's not, he's got some question marks on the ground, he defends takedowns in his last fight with the Travis Brown style downward elbows. <laughs> I agree with safe Sayud. I actually thought they were the, the, the punches and the hammer fist and the elbows were to the back of the head of Ryan span. It has been overturned. So it doesn't matter. Not that those fights have been overturned. Uh, but if he ends up on top, though, he's not really a grappler. If he ends up on top, he's got really mean ground and pound. Um, he's just a big guy who got long arms can kind of uh, throw hammer fist down on you. But weak takedown defense, and his gas tank looked really, really bad against Nikita Kraft. Like, we give him credit for being able to go 15 minutes, but it was an ugly. Like, the last round was really ugly. So as far as prediction goes, I'm going to go with Santos simply because, I mean, even though he looks really terrible in his last bout, I just don't trust the chin of Johnny Walker. I mean, his he keeps his chin really high. It's a big target. And... Regardless of everything, if Santos has lost a step, if he, we don't see his kicks at all anymore, really, if he's simply just a boxer, the last thing you lose is your punching power. And if Santos has a third of the power that he used to have, that's still enough to connect on a big chin like Johnny Walker and put you out. Uh, so... I could see I could see um, Johnny Walker landing a big shot. I could see Tiago Santos. So I'm t- like I'm taking Santos. I'm gonna take him to win by a first round knockout. But I was looking at at the prop bets, and right now the over under for one and a half rounds is negative one ten, pretty much even line to go under. I'm gonna take the under on that because Johnny Walker's first caution to win, and, and he's going against probably the biggest hurdle he's ever faced. So. I don't know. I ever do all prop bets is my best bet, but my best bet of the night is taking the under on one and a half rounds. I want to remind everyone, if you do bet, please re- bet responsibly. Don't bet huge money, just five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever you want to get you more excited. But I like Santos versus uh, Johnny Walker on the under of one and a half rounds. And I like Santos to win. Man. See, all right. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm not going to bury the lead. I'll spoil it right away. I am also picking Santos by first round knockout. But the thing is, if it ends up being Walker by first round knockout, I don't feel as though I'm like dead wrong and have no idea what I'm talking about because that's probably my second most likely outcome. It's one of those things where just one of these guys is going to start the other. I I love your breakdown of their relative strengths and weaknesses, but I think their respective weaknesses are even worse than you make them sound. Like Santos versus Teixeira, 
Teixeira has always been a crushingly heavy top position grappler, just brutal ground and pound, excellent uh, back takes and advancing, uh, you know, uh, positional advances. That's always been the case. But the the modern Glover Teixeira is not a lights out wrestler anymore. And he took Santos down when he didn't know what planet he was on. Like Santos rung him the hell up. And somehow Teixeira still just like literally tumbling across the floor and just grabbing desperately whatever he could get. I was, I was like, Santos, pull your foot out and just turn your back and run away, regroup, come back and punch him three more times. Uh, like that was some excruciatingly bad, like defensive wrestling to watch, just watching a completely rock Glover Teixeira, like come from the brink of being finished to taking Santos down and actually winning that round. And then, you know, finishing the fight uh, soon thereafter. Similarly, like Walker, his chin and his gas tank are both questionable. And I think part of the reason they're both questionable is, I don't know it for a fact, but I have the feeling that Johnny Walker's the biggest light heavyweight in the UFC. Like not in terms of wingspan or height, although he's certainly in the top three for both of those, but walking weight in shape and what he actually weighs once he rehydrates and walks into the cage, I, I, I'm sure he's the biggest light heavyweight in the UFC. Like he and Ryan Span are both about the same height and wingspan, but I bet Walker was 10 pounds heavier when they got into the cage. Like Walker is huge. And there's not even the John Jones trade-off where John Jones has like really, really skinny legs so that he can sure. have kind of that big broad upper body. Walker is huge. And he looks like a heavyweight. He does. He looks like a heavyweight and not a small heavyweight. He looks like <laughs> me, a guy that yeah. Me, if like he, he got a call up to fight at heavyweight, you know, in um, a couple months, he'd probably weigh in at like 255. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So we're taping this. It is 12.07 a.m. Wednesday night, technically Thursday. It's 12.07 Eastern time. I know it's only 11.07 for you. But what, roughly 36 hours from now, yeah. they got to weigh in. What do you think huh? Johnny Walker weighs right now? Just guess. 225? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. 225, 228, something like that. Yeah. Probably weighs about 225 or so. And while that combined with his furious pace and his power and his he, his athleticism, like he's an extremely athletic dude. Like it's not just that he's like this giant lumbering guy like that dude we saw lose on the Contender Series. Yeah, anyway, don't even want to get into that. He Like that all makes him incredibly dangerous, but that weight cut, it has to be impacting his chin, which we saw tell on him against Anderson, you know, where he got stunned by blows that, you know, Anderson's got good power, but, you know, Johnny Walker made it look like he had great power. And then, dude, if you make Nikita Krylov look like a cardio machine, you have a problem. <laughs> That's a good point. We didn't even mention that. I was talking about how well, bad his gas tank was. Like, like Krylov, yeah. Krylov took him down, like, and that was the other thing. Like, Krylov, uh, you know, took him down from the first round. But by the third round, like Walker just didn't have anything left. You know, you you point out that you you can tell a guy is gassed or given up or whatever when he's on the bottom and just both his shoulder blades are touching the mat. Which I mean, I I'm a I'm a wrestler too, so I think, dude, get your get your shoulder blade off the mat, dude. Like roll, bridge, do something. But if you if it's the third round, you know you've lost the first two probably. You're in bottom position and you're just trying to throw like hammer fist from the bottom instead of trying to get up. Your your gas tank is gone. Uh, there I I just listed all the terrible things about Tiago Santos and, and Johnny Walker. but <laughs> And I love the fight even more now. <laughs> well, like Keith says, 
you might want to consider betting that this thing goes under, would you say one and a half rounds? Yeah, that's what, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm I'm saying you better pray this thing goes under one and a half rounds. Because if this thing hits the the fourth and fifth rounds, like it, it isn't gonna be pretty. Uh but I, I agree with you. Like the standout matchup of strength versus vulnerability here is Tiago Santos's power, his punching power, because as you said, he just doesn't throw kicks anymore. You know, it's it's more tiring to throw kicks. His knees are in not great shape anymore. You know, he, he doesn't throw kicks anymore. Like lots of fighters stop throwing kicks. But his punching power and Walker's chin and kind of lack of defensive soundness. You know, he just comes out like a whirling dervish and just counts on himself to land something before you do. Against Santos, even if he isn't the most fundamentally sound striker in the world, he's also not going to be flustered. Like, I think he's just going to weather whatever spinning shit Walker throws at him, hit him with a couple of solid counters, you know, in the pocket and just lamp him. I've got Santos by first round knockout as well. But like I say, like my second most likely outcome is Walker by first round knockout because he lands one of those like spinning back somethings. Uh, should be a fun fight either way. And yeah, as you point out, if it's Santos that wins, he still has a long, long road back to contention. He'll retire first. Like, I think we were talking about this last week that he and Yana Kunitskaya, I think they're actually married now, uh, you know, kids on their way to, yeah, on their way to wedded bliss. So, you know, uh, it's been a good run for the guy. Got a hell of a highlight reel out of him. But uh, yeah, two calls for Tiago Santos by first round knockout in the main event of UFC Fight Night 193. Any other thoughts on this card before we wrap it up? No, it's going to be good. Like, it's it's not the most star-studded, but I think we're going to have some entertaining scraps. I, I have the feeling it'll be a, a crowded field for performance of the night. You know, uh, got a few mismatches and a few action fighters. Those all, you know, spell good stuff. Uh, that's it. This has been the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 193, Walker versus Santos, Santos versus Walker, also known as uh, UFC Vegas 38. I'm Ben Duffy, Sherdog Senior Editor. This is Keith Schillen, uh, Executive Producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Be sure to catch us right after the main event. Uh, we will be going live, as we always do, on the Sherdog YouTube page, uh, where we will recap all these fights. Uh, you know, we do the preview from bottom to top. We'll do the recap from top to bottom, react to every fight, give you our awards, both good and bad, for the performances, talk about what's next for some of these fighters. Uh, the live chat is wide open and extremely live there. Uh, you know, there's usually some great discussions going on, and we will take your questions and comments throughout the show. So please, you know, come hang with us uh, right after the main event this weekend. Until then, thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of your week. Hey, Margarita. Hi!